fuck it, go fuck yourself.com. Hello and welcome to episode number 186 of Grumpy Old Ben's for Wednesday, July 13th, 2022. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where my bank has been acquired and wow, the new people suck. And from America's left coast, where The Verge is my hate listen, I'm Ryan Bemrose. Will you listen to The Verge? No, I read it and then I hate listening to it. Oh, well, that would be, I, I was going to say, do they, are they, well, I mean, you have a screen reader, I guess you can. I'd scream reader, maybe. Right. The Verge is horrible. Yes, but. Name a I, website I'm, that's not. I do. Oh, so The Verge is where I get a lot of stories and, and part of it is because it's where it's linked from places that I read, but more importantly, because while their stories are always slanted and usually filled with a bunch of crap nobody cares about. They have an uncanny knack for having a handle on the kind of stories that I want to cover in my podcasts. Oh, you mean the ones so, that anger you? Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> yes, they're very good at that. They also are great fodder for, you know, I, I hate doing this because it's so cheap, but they're great fodder for being like, and this story I really want to rant about. But another thing I should rant about is how the Verge's coverage was completely crappy. And let me read a quote from that, which I'll do today. It's called it's, professional podcasting. It's such a deep well of, of just saying, not only is this story crap, but the way they reported on it is too. Well, that's what so how about that bank? Yeah. Oh, okay. Now this is interesting because I've gotten to experience this from a few different angles, which is me being at least somewhat of a tech guy. I know some people will argue my Ben status, but also at the same bank, my parents, my in-laws, and my nephew, who is 28 or so. So this is a wide range of people that this new system of, hey, we're taking over your bank. So here's what's going to happen. And this taking over. Yes. That's which. So, so you were with a credit union. I know we discussed that. No, it's a just a bank. Back. I mean, we should have gone okay. to a credit. I keep looking for a good credit union around here. Which it seems like there's like 99% banks in our area. Yeah. The, and, and just for review, I know we've discussed this on this show before, but some people haven't listened more than two years ago. Um, well, they just should go back you, and The difference listen. between a bank and a credit union is the credit union's primary customers are its depositors. The credit union makes its money on money services to the credit union members and they, you know, on interest on your money, they, and they generally, usually are not for profit, which means that they service the people who have checking accounts and savings accounts, the people who are members of the bank. The The difference between that is and a credit or a, and a bank is a bank's primary uh, customers are big Wall Street investors because that's the scale they operate on, which means that you and your $5,000 checking account are nothing more than a tool that they use to leverage 
to woo the investors. You are not important to them. You are worth, you know, 5,000 when they have a budget of 5 billion. Right. You are a little bit further down the line. Yes. And there are some good banks. My mom's cousin was with the bank that was a single bank. It was not a big chain. It was a local mom and pop bank. And one of the, yeah, I few, remember when those existed back in the 1990s uh-huh, or before. And it was one yeah. of the few that actually lasted and was still there. And that's where we started with the bank. That was a much smaller bank that then merged with somebody else and then merged with somebody else. And now they've merged with somebody else who was bigger than them. So now everything changes because, you know, that's just the way it works. And so you get the notification, which is, well, as of Friday, all of the original banks, well, they're closed and we're going to do magical stuff over the weekend. And then come Monday, all of those locations will be reopened under the new name and you will then be able to log back into your account at our website using this information. It's magic. Well, not so much. (laughs) You know, like with a great magician, you're wondering, how do they do that? This you're kind of wondering, how do they get it so very wrong? And one, I haven't looked into this closely enough, but the first thing that I thought was weird was, well, you could still use your existing login name from. Well, that's very kind of them to not completely fuck over your whole workflow. But I'm wondering, since you could pick your username. I don't know what the new bank is, how they work, because otherwise, you know, if I just had Darren O'Neill, which I couldn't, because even at my old bank, somebody had already taken that as the login. So I had to make okay, adjustments. That should be your first clue that they serve with more too many people for you to be important to them. <laughs> There's a lot of Darren O'Neill's and most of them use my Gmail address, which I've talked about a little on maybe <laughs> other shows. The most so recent they just, they're like they're giving out your address. That's actually a pretty effective spam technique. I, I got to give them that. Well, see, this is why I've started to fight back just to take a slight deviation from the bank story to me being an asshole to somebody in Australia story, which is there's a Darren O'Neill in Australia, I guess, that was getting packages. And this happened twice. And both times, you know, like here in the United States, when I'm getting a package from UPS or FedEx, they may send you a notification. But at that point, there's really nothing you can do to sabotage said delivery but in australia they're way different i guess because they send you an email notification like hey mr o'neill your package is on its way you know to this address if you need to make any changes click here so i'm like huh really yeah so i I click there and there was a whole you know form that comes up like do you want to change the address where this is delivered to so I mean, yeah, why not? Yes. And I'm so much of an asshole. I didn't even just throw in a random like one, two, three Main Street. I went to Google Maps and looked at the city and looked for a valid address that I could reroute the package to. Oh, see, I'd be I'd be rerouting it to the Philippines. or something. <laughs> we'll see. They might catch on to that. Like, we're going to have to charge you more to uh, to send this out. Yeah, they'll send you an email saying we're going to have to charge you more. And you'd be like, yeah, just put it on my card. You're right. That's fine. That's great. Why did I send this to the Philippines? I don't know. But that only happened twice and then it stopped. So I'm assuming the guy caught on that calling the thing, calling the company like I didn't get my package. Well, sir, you told us to route it here. No, I didn't. (laughs) Well, yes. Yes, you did. So, yeah, that was me being an asshole. But that was the first sign at the bank. Like, well, wait, how does how do why is all of these existing 
usernames, how weren't they existing in their system? And maybe they were using something totally different, like they forced you to do something weird or have a format that almost nobody would use. But I thought that was weird. But then rather than keeping your password, which I think would have been the more important thing to keep rather than the username, they changed. They're like, well, your password for the first time logging in will be the first two letters of your last oh name uh-huh, capitalized. Oh, that, that's yeah. ripe for, oh my. And then so the all last, you have to do is get your bot up before most of these people can log in. Well, that would be it. Well, you'd have to have access to their social security number because it was the first. Oh, that's hard. Uh-huh. The first two letters of your last name and the last six digits of your social security number was the password. Why not just set everyone to the word password? I mean, it's it's, <laughs> right? it's just about as effective. You know, I mean, and people would have really screwed this up a lot less. It, 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 get away from that bank. These morons think that social security number is a private inf- piece of information. Yeah. Well, this, you know, this is definitely my uh, my next step for this week, which it was interesting. Like a week or two ago, somebody from U.S. Bank, which is one of the local banks, you know, they're a big bank, but we have a local area right down the street, one of their uh, locations. And we got called and they were like pushing for checking. I'm like, dude, do you know that we're with the bank that's being acquired and you guys know something? Because, you know, I'm, I'm caught between I'd love the little banks for what they offer and they're not the man. But at this point, it's also like I'd like a bank that's not going to get acquired by somebody else. Yeah. You know, my, so- my very first bank ever. I, 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 I learned the lesson early because I stuck with them for a really long time. It was, you know, when, when my dad, when I'm like 10 and my dad is taking me to the same bank he's with to set up a savings account to store my allowance. And it probably had a balance of, of $12 for years. Um, but the bank was a very local Portland area bank called First Independent. And then I'm probably just about old enough to start putting paychecks into it. I might've been, uh, you know, getting a, a decent amount of money in there. And they sold out to one called Seafirst, which was a, a larger Seattle based left coast one. And then somewhere along the line, those branches got sold to one called Washington Mutual, which is much larger but still based in Washington. And I'm like, I can still bank with these guys. It's still the same people behind, you know, back when they had tellers and you knew the people behind the counter, still the same people. And then Washington mutual sold out to chase Manhattan. Ah. Like, yeah, we're done. (laughs) Yeah. It gets a little too big, but it it was the, the story of my first bank, which I kept that account all the way through chase until I went, okay, screw this was, the 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 image of of the tiny fish eating the bigger fish yes. or, you know, getting eaten by the bigger fish and bigger and um, yeah that's what's been happening to the banks the last forty years and that's what I was imagining when you were saying that and I also would guess that Chase is still the one that owns that bank so they you got so big that- well I mean Chase I don't think has been acquired by anyone else unless you want to count the Fed well perhaps for that but that was what they had set up for the username. And the password. Now, our old bank did this as well. But so I go in and I do that. And it's like, okay, well, it's fine that you have that. But we also need to call you with a code to verify that it's really you. And I'm like, uh, okay. Um, and it was fine because it was the 
you know, the landline. I mean, as long as they have your correct phone number. Right. Because otherwise. Or is it just me who gives wrong phone numbers whenever someone demands one? I'm like, which also, I don't ever yeah. want you to call me. So no. Which also Here, five, makes five, it more five, difficult. 1212. <laughs> yeah. Or eight, six, seven, five, three, oh, nine. You know, I got it. <laughs> no, Jenny. I'm pretty sure someone's used that. Yeah. Probably. That, by the way, is my go-to. If I'm in a grocery store and they're like, you want to enter your loyalty card? I'm like, um, yeah, I'll just use eight, six, seven, five, three, oh, nine. I know for sure. Somebody has already set up that number. And somebody that's really smart that wants all the discounts and loyalty points is like, yes. Well, that I mean, that's a great idea. But then again, if I want my fuel discount at the gas pump later, I just enter that number and whoever the (laughs) hell has used it most recently. (laughs) That is magic. That is that's why they have pin numbers and all that. Problem is it gets used so often there's like a you know a one cent discount, but eh, whatever. And of course, since I have a uh spam filtering on the phone number the call comes in but the phone doesn't even ring it goes right to voicemail but luckily it was i guess my outgoing message is the exact right length because the first thing i heard was a number and it was a six number thing and that was a six number code so i got really lucky putting that in and then it's like of course well you need to change your password because this was a temporary password yeah so I'm like, okay, but, I go into my, by the little, way, it's not the password you need to change. It's the bank, but go on. Yes. Well, that would be uh, upcoming, but I went in to my little password generator and I'm like, well, it's a bank. And I know <laughs> I did this with the old one too, which was, it was a 30, 20 characters at this 33 yes. digits. Cause well, you know, 33 yeah. is the magic number. Of course. So I take a 33 digit thing and I create it. I generate it. Yeah. I throw it into the little box. It says, we're yay. sorry. Your password is too complex. No, oh. it says everything's great. And well, well, first, first after that, it, it made, it made another phone call because it, once I was able to then log in, it wanted to reconfirm that it was me after I changed the password, which I didn't know why. Cause I just had to get a number to confirm right. it. I thought, I mean, the phone calls were like literally like a minute apart from what this thing was doing but i take my 33 digit new password i put it in it says everything is hunky go dory it lets me into the account and i'm like well as i always do when i change a password i then immediately log out and then log in and as long as that works i save the password because i've had too many times where that didn't work so i go to log back in this does not match and i'm like fuck you it doesn't match i just did it I cut and pasted it and it didn't tell me, but I'm only assuming that it couldn't take a password that was 33 characters long, but the system had no freaking clue. And I even tried shortening it to like 30 and then 20 characters. Cause you know, there's a limit and it took the first X amount. Yeah. Not only is there a limit, you know that nobody bothered to test it. They're like, ah, everybody's going to use an eight character password. It's fine. Right. Cause everybody's a moron dictionary word and two digits right. or, you know, and one, and then one symbol at the end. Yeah. That's everybody's password. Doesn't everybody use bank one, two, three, four is their password at their bank. I mean, hey, I use bank four, three, two, one just to change <laughs> it up. It makes it harder to figure out. So, I mean, I finally got that figured out, but then I heard from my mom that she couldn't get in and i'm like well i'll try to help her out and of course because she put in or what not actually it doesn't seem like she was putting in the wrong information but because it didn't think her information was correct it locked out the account now i was looking through twitter this morning and people were posting screenshots of being on hold with this bank for four hours plus yesterday and not being able to get anybody on the phone and uh so this is a really big mess. They opened up at seven this morning. The uh, customer service like line. Some, 
dude's named Ben having a bad day, by the way. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel sorry for them, kind of, but they seem maybe they caused the problem well, in the first place. I, half the time, it's the IT workers who are setting the policy, but actually less than half, because at least in my experience, most of the time, it's somebody who does not understand IT coming out and setting a policy saying, we need the passwords to always be exactly this and do this. And here's the policy. And we do. And then the IT guys are like, but that's a stupid policy. Don't care. Do it. And then they do it because they want to get paid. Right. And like yesterday, about five o'clock, the bank emailed everybody like, oh, if you've been locked out, I mean, they're everybody's unlocked again. So go back and try, because obviously so many <laughs> people were having problems that so many yeah. people were locked out. So I went in and was trying. everybody's unlocked again. So fire up your phishing scripts yet again. Right. So I went in and was trying to log into my mom's account and it would not let me log in. It kept giving me the, you know, this isn't right. And it's like, okay, well, let me use the last six digits of my dad's social security, the last six digits of hers. You know what? Are we sure that it was, you know, that she remembered the username correctly, but it appeared that she did. Now this was the worst part of this whole system and every Ben listening right now is going to cringe. Yes. Because I'm like, well, I'm cringing already. I'm like, there's only one way for me to verify that she's using the right username. And that is for them. Cause you, if you drill down far enough, it's like, you know, forgot your password. Oh, forgot your username. Forgot your ID. Great. I get down to the point of you forgot your user ID and it's like, put in your email address. And we'll send it to you. So I put in her email address and it says success. We sent it to you. And I go and I'm watching the email. Nothing's coming in. I do it again. Success. We sent you your user. ID. Who did they send it to? Well, no, here's the thing. It never showed up. So I went back in and with my mom's on the phone. I I mean, I didn't tell her what I was typing in, but I'm typing in fuck it. Go fuck yourself dot com. And it comes back with success. We've sent you your user ID. So it's like the system is bullshit. The system's not hooked up to anything. My butthole just puckered a little bit. Yes. It's like, and this is a fucking bank. <laughs> old National Bank. If you bank with Old National, do not bank with Old National for long. And I, Credit I, union. Yeah. Once that happened. At, at the very least, you know with a credit union that there is a human being in your town that you can communicate with to get these things fixed. Yeah. Once that happened, it was like, um, this whole thing's a scam. It, this whole thing is absolutely a scam. That you can put in any email address you want, and it's like success. We sent your user ID. It's like uh, so you're not even checking if it's a valid email. And when you <laughs> drill down to the point to go send a secure email, a 404 page comes up. <laughs> uh huh. I'm like, I'm feeling really good about my money right now. Because why would you bother testing that? Uh huh. Uh huh. And this, I mean, the bank's been around for a while. It would appear. I mean, this is just a new acquisition, but it's like, oh my god, this is horrible. But but you know that the 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 dude's name Ben that like there's the one guy who's been there more than five years and that guy's completely overloaded and everybody else is fresh out of college and they're like have you ever do you know what the word Python means okay you're hired <laughs> <laughs> now go invent something yeah don't something. make this safe for everybody make it cobble secure. together a bunch of PHP scripts yeah and this is the people that are taking care of the money of folks that. That was it. That was really it for me. It's like I was already like, you know what? I need to change. I need to get away from this bank just because their customer service seems horrible. And you're like, well, you know, things can go wrong. But this was, again, Monday. And as of Wednesday, 
when my mom called this morning at like 730, they already said we've had enough calls for the day. We can no longer take any more calls. What the fuck? Yes. This this also happened with uh, the one card grading company that they will take a certain amount of calls. So you call like right when they open up and they'll take X amount of messages and be like, we can call you back. So if they're day, you know is, what that sounds like, it sounds like they outsource their customer support. Probably. And, that, and their their contract had a limit of per day. Right. We can take care of 100 calls a day, whatever it is that that's it. Once it's it, it won't take care of any more. But yeah, this was uh, she's like, she's going to stop at the bank. I'm like, well, one, be prepared for a line and be prepared for a lot of people there who have no idea what's going on either. Well, the tellers have even less an idea what's going on than the IT folks. Uh huh. So it's going to be fun to see. I'm like, I guess I'm just lucky that I got in and now I can just work on no, getting no, my money out. No, you're lucky if you can get your money out. <laughs> that is because the next that'll trick. be the next hurdle. Uh huh. And the, it, the next hurdle will be like. You people are incompetent. I'm closing this account. And they'll be like, yeah, sure. We'll just, uh, we'll send a check to whatever email you typed in last. Right. <laughs> you didn't get that? Oh, geez. Yeah. Your money's going to go to the Philippines. <laughs> With the guy's package from <laughs> Australia. That's what I get for being a dick and rerouting his package. Oh, it's, uh, it is maddening. You know, I would expect uh, for anything like this, there's going to be issues. I know. People hate the word glitches as everybody in IT does. But when this is going on and the whole thing's happening over the weekend, well, Monday and Tuesday, I mean, Tuesday at the latest for you to be able to get a hold of the people when they're talking about your money. The fact that yeah, this that, is that three doesn't days. Work. Yeah, we, we we have, you know, we have moved to a cashless society existing in society requires that you have access 24 seven to your digital cash. So somebody cutting you off from your money for two days is like putting your entire world on hold for two days. If you know, if you had been able to go to an ATM before this and take out $500 and been like, yeah, I'll just, you know, I take a week. I don't care. It's my kind of walking around money. Right. That nobody does that. No. Now you need access. As you said, but no, this is not what you get now. You don't have access. Get out of that bank. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. That's what so, I say. <laughs> this is this is a great segue into one of my stories, which actually happened to be my backup story. But uh, the headline on this is 95% of employees say that IT issues decrease workplace productivity and morale from VentureBeat. No. <laughs> That's hard to believe. I can't buy that. Yeah. So I went ahead and revised that long headline in my notes to remote work is not everything it promised. No. Well, it is. Um, if you don't want to see people, then uh, that's great. This, this was uh, there. There was a uh, uh, survey done by companies 1E and Vanson Born. Uh, however, I went ahead and tried to, as, as I usually do, tried to click in on the survey itself. And it started being like, you have to enable JavaScript. Now you have to enter a valid email. Okay. We have to confirm your email. <laughs> and now you're we're going to add you to your number. list. We're going uh, yeah. Make sure you enter a phone number. I'm like, nope, uh, the, I, I'll just trust the VentureBeat article. So this could be completely off. VentureBeat doesn't always steer me wrong. Not like the verge, but. Um, actually, the, the one thing I'm going to read to you is uh, there's there's a chart. That says uh, a survey results challenges to the employee's digital experience. And uh, so 37% of respondents said security or regulatory policies were 
challenges. Uh, 37% said IT overwhelmed by number of issues that need resolving. Yes, <laughs> you don't think. Actually, I also just realized that the second bar, which says 37%, is shorter than the first bar, which says 37%. So pay no nice attention work, to that. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's using statistics to manipulate me. The next one, which is significantly shorter at 35%. Oh, yeah, of course. Says, that's way less than 37%. Lack of training for IT personnel. Oh, yeah. And then the next one, which is like 10% shorter than that, at 34%. God, this, <laughs> this chart is awful. Is it a Microsoft product they use to create I that? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to drop the, the image location. I don't know if that comes through or not. But uh, I just dropped the image in the troll room. This bar chart is terrible. Uh, handling the shift to hybrid or remote work uh, is 34%. 32% increase the number of endpoints to manage, which I, you know, just means they were fine when it was only five people working remotely. When it's the whole company, they can't seem to handle it. Uh, technology in place is not appropriate for supporting remote work. They call it DEX, but remote work. Dex digital employee experience. Ooh. Um, yeah, basically, uh, there, there is a survey where lots of people are experiencing um, growing pains with the shift to 100% remote work, which anybody who is, understands technology or anybody who understands human nature would be like, yeah, you're making a massive shift in everybody's workflow. Of course, things are broken. Well, I do like the bottom of that, which is, the amount of people who faced no challenges, two percent. Yeah, ninety-eight yeah. <laughs> percent so, faced a challenge. So if you're in a room with fifty employees, one of them is perfectly happy with everything. Everything worked great. He was content. He was yeah. able to log in, <laughs> do his work, and uh, the problem with the whole work at home, which I think we've covered here quite a bit, is the employers go, huh. Let's see, Ryan Bemrose, he's working at home. How do, how do we know he's working? And well, that leads into the conversation of, well, how can you be monitored? How can your workday be monitored? If you're somebody that has to interact with customers that, you know, that is taking phone calls, if they're like forwarding phone calls to you, then they can see that you're picking up the phone and taking calls. But if you're doing a lot of different types of work, they're going, how do I know he's actually working? And then they want to do crazy things like, See what's on your screen at any given yeah. time. And, and and by the way, I know this is going to be completely foreign to a lot of upper level managers, but the best way to find out with somebody, at least in the position where I was, where I was a programmer is, are you producing valuable bug free code? Then, then you're working how you're working. It, it's, it's kind of a, um, it's it's well understood amongst upper level managers that if a, the only way a company can get their money's worth out of a person is measured by time. If you are not dedicated to thinking about the company for precisely 40 hours a week or more, if you're lucky, then the company is getting ripped off. If you know, if I produce quality code for the company, but it only takes me 10 hours, then I'm ripping them off if I spend the other 30 hours in World of Warcraft. Rightfully and so. <laughs> maybe. I, I don't know. It, I, I guess what I'm saying is, you it know, maybe goal based or, or yeah, time it, based. It, it, I'm talking about goal based. I'm not talking about being a, a, you know, a customer support technician where your goal is to get people off the phone as quickly as possible and get through, you know, 
an outsourced technician where you're like, nope, I can only take 600 calls this week and then I'm on vacation. <laughs> yeah. Or if you're a phone sex no, operator, you want to get people off on the phone. As often I'm talking as about the, the work that actually produces a, a, an, a result rather than work that that involves just staring at a clock. And that that's the kind of work I did, which was, you know, our goal is to have this project out the door by this date. Okay. Well, if the project is out the door by that date, does it matter how many hours I spent on it? It shouldn't. No, not if you reached the goal. Yeah. And if you, if everybody spends 30 hours playing World of Warcraft and 10 hours on it, then maybe you adjust the goals the next time around. But if, if you've set an uh, achievable, accurate goal, it shouldn't matter exactly how. But of course it does matter because although we're transitioning all employees to remote work, what we're not doing is changing the mindset of the upper level management that says, uh, you are my slave for 40 hours a week. And if I don't give, if you're only thinking about the company for 39 and a half, then I'm docking your pay, yeah. which is an antiquated mindset, just as antiquated as always going into the office. Right. Well, but, but having you in the office, they can see what you're doing. I mean, you Certainly. may not actually be working, but they can see you sitting at your computer. I mean, you can't just get up and walk around the whole day and talk to people. Then they'll know you're not doing your work where if you're at home, they're like, well, how do we know that? Um, Servo, only if they became a manager because they were a really good coder. He says in the troll room, does a manager even know what valuable or bug free means? No. Well, if it's bug free, everybody's out of a job. So, I mean, you well, want first some of all, bugs. Bug, bug free is is an amazing it. It's a unicorn. It, it's it's a really cool goal. It's like it's like Roddenberry's utopia. It's a cool place to imagine that you're there, but it's impossible to get to in practice. True. At least for any software that's more than like five lines of code. You show me five lines of code. I'll find <laughs> a bug, a bug in somewhere me. in there. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Something will be mis mistyped. Something, you know, it'll be a capital and it's not supposed to be. It's just the way the world works. And sometimes you don't know what your username is or what your password is, or uh, it's no different than logging into your bank. This is like for people that used to work in a location where everybody's together. A lot of these things have inter office messengers where that gets a little more difficult. If you go over the internet, sorry, you, you, you're still reading the troll. You never read. The I'm troll reading room. the troll room and just fucking cracking up. Freeism hasn't been tried yet. Yes. Or raise the flag. Let's try it. Let's try it right now. Yeah. Free all the bugs. <laughs> I, I, I can tell you there is one program. That is completely bug free. And that's uh, the empty program that does nothing. Oh, I thought you were going to say Microsoft Windows 11. Well, I have never experienced any bugs in Windows 11. I will tell you that much. I haven't either. I mean, that has to say a lot. So anyway, not a lot of a story. VentureBeat is uh, reporting the absolute obvious because somebody came out with a survey that demonstrates the obvious, which is that... uh, Making everybody work remotely and just imagining it will all just go through is causing IT workers everywhere to have heart attacks. And for some reason, the the employees are not feeling like they're as productive or happy as they thought they would be. Are we never got people, to that utopia. Yeah. Are most people back in the office now? I, I don't. Anybody know? I honestly don't know. Um, the only industry that i could even remotely take a guess at is uh is programming mine uh or it 
And I don't think that most people are back. I think a lot of people are back, but I don't, I, I think a lot of people, a lot more people are, I'm not making this point very well. Um, we're absolutely never going to return to the 99% in office that we used to have, depending on the company. Uh, there are places like Apple where the upper level management just said, I don't care if you're afraid of the common cold, you're coming in to work. And now employees are getting together and suing them and trying to unionize over it. Right. Um, you're going to have a surge because I might get sick. Well, you could always get sick when you went in anywhere. Yeah, that that happened. And for the I, people that go, well, I, I might get sick coming into the office. It, this is going to become a very interesting uh, for, back and forth because for, for 20 years in, in the corporate world, I would venture to say that I probably received 90 percent of my colds from the office and gave maybe five percent i don't well, know where the other five percent happened you should always give more but for the people that go hey i'm too afraid to come into the office because i might get sick well this is going to be like people who are claiming they're on uh you know disability that they can't work and then you find them out golfing or shooting hoops this is going to be the same type of thing that well okay if you're going to use the excuse that you're too afraid of a virus to come into the office then nobody ever better catch you in a restaurant or a shopping mall or those still exist shopping malls. Well, um, you know, the virus is, is a, it's a low class virus. It doesn't affect places like anywhere that anywhere that the menu items are more than say $50 a plate. There is no COVID. <laughs> there never has been or anywhere um, fun is had. COVID has never appeared on golf courses or, you know, any, it, yeah. Wow. It doesn't this like is, golf. This is how Gavin Newsom got away with it. Right. Well, he went to then uh, into Montana to have a little vacation in the state that he said people shouldn't go vacation in Montana. Yeah. Yeah. The rules for thee, not for me. That's that's about right. We know how politicians are. This is this is how an aristocracy works. Anybody who imagine anybody who claims or shouts that our democracy is in danger. It's a republic. <laughs> I was waiting for that one. You know, it's a democratic republic. They're like, what's the difference? It's like, well, if you don't know, then don't ask. Well, I mean, okay, you should ask, but go to school. Yeah. Read something a, like that. Read an internet. I mean, not that you won't find a, a few yeah. bad answers on the yeah, internet. Go, go hate, listen to the verge for a while. Right. That would be a good place to get a lot of information and then get your blood pressure up because we know we all want a little side of politics in our tech news. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we built like a that. platform on that, but fuck these guys that are copying that. Okay, I you want to? How about how about this for increased blood pressure? Because this story does come from the Verge. Again, uh, the the FTC has put out. A, well, the Verge was just copying off an FTC blog post, so I'll link that one too. But the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, has come out and said that now we are suddenly committed to fully enforcing the law. Um. This comes from Kristen Cohen, the acting associate director of the Division of Privacy and Identity Protection. Did you know that the FTC has a bureau, a division of privacy and identity protection? I did not. I didn't either because I don't think they've ever done anything. But the acting associate director has now put out a blog post. So I guess that's something where they are committed to enforcing the law. They say we will vigorously enforce the law if we uncover illegal content that exploits Americans' location, health, or other sensitive data. Why do you suppose that this suddenly became a priority for a commission that was normally only about just badgering people that didn't follow their stupid little regulations? What, 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 what possibly could have happened to make them suddenly want to enforce the law? Democrats, in fact. 
or <laughs> TikTok. I don't know. It seems uh, it's Roe v. Wade, the Dobbs decision. Oh, right. We can't they say are, they are concerned that and, and this is a, an exact line from The Verge. And this is why I hate this publication so much. The Verge says that there is danger approaching for supporters of reproductive justice. A supporter of reproductive justice. Somebody who wants to murder babies now is a supporter of reproductive justice. Do words mean nothing anymore? You ah. No, sorry. They don't. So, and that's why that whole debate is useless so at this point. But they are concerned. The uh, Kristen Cohen from the FTC is concerned that supporters of reproductive justice might be targeted by data collection. They might be targeted if their privacy is compromised by data collection by people knowing where they are all the time that that if you want to kill babies then that might be a problem and therefore it becomes necessary for the federal government to step in and actually give a crap about your privacy being violated by all these silicon valley companies just because you might want to murder babies well this is on the heels of google saying oh if you're at an abortion clinic or anywhere that might be you know, a little bit sensitive. We're going to remove that automatically. When did they suddenly grow an ethical bone? And I want to know who is defining these areas that are sensitive. Is the no-tell motel at the edge of the town, is that a sensitive area? (laughs) Is the strip club a sensitive area or only abortion clinics? Is that the only sensitive area? And I wonder about what other kind of problems this may cause, because if you're you're walking around in the red light district, do they publish that data? Right. Well, I'm just wondering. Okay, say uh, your girlfriend or wife goes somewhere next door to an abortion clinic. Well, you go look at the data on their device and all of a sudden there's going to be this big black hole of, wait, why is there no data here? She's like, I was getting milk. The shopping center is next to there. And you're like, I have no idea. I don't know. I can't Uh track you, girlfriend. This could cause and, way more problems. Yeah. And if your boyfriend is tracking you like that, get another freaking boyfriend because right. that's creepy. And a new bank. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bank. Stop deal. sending your money to the palace or to the Philippines. Yeah. Palestine. Right. Well, either way, it's still far yeah, away from one. Australia. They would either would piss off those Joey's down in Aussie. I'll tell you. <laughs> but this is exactly the world now you're living in because we have a data collection world. And we know that Apple and Google want to collect every bit of your GPS data. But now it's like, oh, wait, there may be some there may be some sensitive areas. And I would still make the case that everywhere you go is a sensitive area and nobody should be watching in in a in a massive burst of virtue signaling disguised as ethics. They've decided we actually won't collect every piece of data on you in this one case where it fits our political narrative. Right. (laughs) I I just read that and and it's same thing with the Google story. You brought the Google story last week, I think, or at least I heard about it. I I thought I heard it from you, but uh, same thing. It's it's oh, suddenly you people care about privacy and and all of these things that privacy advocates have been screeching about for years and years and years, how big data and Google especially are coming out and just screwing over the public and I've got another story about ring doorbells that's in my lineup. And and now this is the thing that makes them go, oh, actually, privacy is important. And we can screw you guys. Just <laughs> stop tracking me everywhere. And I'll care. I think you care. 
Otherwise, you're being political douchebags just trying to get your stupid Democrats reelected all the time by pissing people off about one issue when you are collecting all of their. They go down to Skid Row and have a one night stand. We'll go ahead and publish that data because we think that's totally ethical. Yeah. Yeah. Getting knocked up every day and getting an abortion the next day. We'll go ahead and cover up the, the abortion part. It is the new world order. And I absolutely support your right to get knocked up every day, but don't take your damn phone because Google's selling that data. We are nothing but data now. That's what they're doing. Data. Anyway, had a bit, a little bit of rant on that one. <laughs> no, just a little. I mean, you could do better. I know I can. What, what's with the ring uh, doorbells, though? Uh, well, um, as, as you may be aware, Amazon has a public policy to hand over ring doorbell footage to the police if the owner agrees to it or a judge has issued a warrant. Um, and this is, uh, this is a huge boon for police who want to find out uh, who's been stealing packages or, or just whether or not people of the wrong color have been walking by the, in, in the wrong neighborhood or I, I'm not necessarily accusing all police departments of that, but I know there are going to be police out there who, are yeah there are going to be police who are racist there are going to be police who are bad there are police who are good but the question is uh who bought this ring doorbell exactly who's who should the ring doorbell be serving you would think the person that purchased it you'd think that wouldn't you no but no it's it's servicing amazon and it's servicing the cops and in response to a letter sent to amazon from senator ed markey uh from massachusetts um, he asked Amazon, you know, do you send this data out under what circumstances? And Amazon pointed out that they do, in fact, reserve the right to hand over their footage in, quote, emergencies uh, using their, quote, good faith discretion without any uh, notification or permission or even a warrant from either a judge or the person who owns the doorbell. They just say in their own discretion. They will sometimes decide if they decide it's an emergency to hand over all of the footage to law enforcement. And and when I say law enforcement, you can think what you want about your local cop. I personally think that my local sheriff here is a pretty good guy. In fact, he even came out publicly, took a lot of heat for saying we're not going to enforce the mask mandates anymore. That I thought was pretty cool. You can decide that your local cops are. But remember, law enforcement also includes the FBI, who have a track record at this point for finding some autistic rube, handing him $10,000 worth of guns and say, go shoot a school. Or a parade. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. But now with the ring doorbell footage, just from a technical aspect, I'm curious because I haven't really followed this closely enough. Does all ring doorbell footage go immediately to the cloud? Or is this something uh, that is stored locally and then they can access? But it's like, is this all streaming through if that ring doorbell the, is on? Is there like a massive control center somewhere that's getting like a billion video feeds at once? I am willing to accept that I might have incomplete data, which is my way of saying I could be wrong without <laughs> saying I could ever be wrong. Right. Never. Admit. Um, but my understanding is that uh, the now the the Alexa data will stay on the device until you say the keyword and then it gets sent off, even though they say it doesn't get sent off. Um, it does because uh, they say quality control, but they also use that for other things. Um, 
But my understanding is that the ring doorbell data, there isn't enough storage on the device to keep all of that data. So, and my understanding is that they have a feature that allows you using the app to go back and review the footage from a previous time. And so I don't imagine they're putting terabyte SSDs in each of these doorbells. If they did, then we'd see stories about people stealing doorbells so that they oh, could yeah. you know, get, but so, yeah, I, I, it is my understanding and my supposition that, that all of the video is sent to the cloud. Yeah. Servo agrees with you. So they're not stored locally, which I mean, there's so many things that come up with that realization, which is one, just how much bandwidth is wasted Two, <laughs> what the impact is on our green society that we're all supposed to have. Because, you know, when you keep storing, moving these, this data around takes energy. So uh, once you look past all of the, the green initiatives and, and all the virtue signals, Silicon Valley is terrible on if, if, if your goal is to minimize the amount of power used by a society for the environment, which I, I can argue about how the environment is actually better off if we use more power, but that's a different thing. But if your goal is to minimize the amount of power usage, then Silicon Valley should be your enemies and they know it, which is why they virtue signal so much about environmental things. This is true. This is absolutely true. Now that, that is uh it's interesting then to know where that footage is because this footage of the device that you bought, as you said, and you put on your doorstep or wherever you put your ring doorbell, I'm sure some people have more than one. You might have one at the front door, one yeah. at the back door, you know, whatever. one on each side of the door, just in case somebody's hiding on the other side. Right. You want to see them now. All of one on your mailbox is being sent now. So what you're saying is if you have a ring doorbell and you just murdered somebody and you come staggering up to your door covered in blood, your own, the device that you bought is going to be what sends you to jail. It is. That is entirely possible. More importantly, what I'm saying is that you don't have a say in whether or not Amazon uses their sole discretionary powers to determine that it's an emergency and hand all of that footage over to your local cops. Now, if you just murdered somebody, I do hope you go to jail. That's right. not a cool thing to do. <laughs> That's like, but, but can you opt but out more of importantly, this? You know, if you just came back from a Trump rally. Right. You're and, wearing that and MAGA you're, hat. You're wearing a MAGA hat on video and they decide to give that to your local law enforcement. You know, and, and I'm not talking about the the local police department who are dealing with real crime. I'm talking about, you know, federal law enforcement whose job is no longer to bother with with enforcing crime. Instead, they just create it or or political persecution of their enemies. I'm a little pissed about the FBI stories that have been coming out in the last couple of weeks. You might know. Yeah, the FBI has not had a good uh, track record since uh, the Trump presidency and beyond. No. Yeah. How about the last six years? Yeah. So, yeah, every time that that a, a government or or a, an authoritarian body, which is usually means government. But in this case, uh, let's call it Amazon, because they seem to be the ones you know, I can't I can't go put take my ring doorbell and connect it to somebody else. If I have a ring doorbell, it's fucking Amazon. They are the ones in their sole discretion. So they're a fucking government. They are monopoly on the people that I can connect to the back end cloud end of my ring doorbell. If I had one, which I don't. Um, every time that they have an emergency clause, it 
always, always 100% of the time, whenever there is an emergency clause used, then the first time it's used, it is in reaction to, you know, a terrible flood or some widespread thing where you just need to cut through red tape. And most people would agree that's good. And then it eventually suffers from mission creep where eventually you start using it because a bunch of truckers are honking and you don't like that and you want to be able to walk without having a camera put in your face. And and then suddenly you're fucking Fidel Castro. We must watch everyone. So, yeah, I mean, I. There has been a climate change emergency going on in the state of Washington declared, well, kept alive by Governor Inslee, but declared by not his predecessor, but her predecessor, three governors back. We declared a climate emergency in Washington, which gives the governor amazing powers to fuck over the economy. And they've just kept it going year after year after year because they like the power. That's what emergency clauses do. Emergency clauses say checks and balances out the window. I want to act like a dictator. And you know what, Amazon, you're fucking doing it when you're right. You would like to have some kind of uh, of a roadmap of what qualifies as an emergency, like a missing child. OK, that may be an emergency. Uh, really? Because <laughs> the other thing, the last thing I have in my notes is is underneath the rant about emergency clauses is I have the word Amber Alerts. Well, see, now those are the ones that bother you on your phone when it's like somebody's four yeah. states away. And I'm like, well, that's not yeah. me. I'm like, I didn't fucking take the kid. What are you? Why are you bothering me about it? I don't leave my house. How am I going to see them <laughs> unless they come break into my house? What are the odds of that? You don't know. And um, if they do break in my house, trust me, justice is coming to them. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be quick <laughs> and it's going to be painful. And uh, the kid will be returned because nobody wants extra children. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the the bottom line. You like dead body on the doorstep. Someone will clean it up eventually. Kid in my house. Get it out. (laughs) This is uh, I noticed this when I was doing Amazon reviews going back. This is like six years ago now, because I did get a bunch of cameras to review some of them that I still use because the only way you can monitor them is to connect locally to the IP address. They're not sending anything to the cloud. And you can just, although it's harder now that Flash is gone, because most of them just wanted to use Flash to uh, to stream the video. But there were a good number of cameras that was like, well, you have to set up an account at Chinese1234.com. <laughs> and this is the only way the camera will work. And it's like, no. No, well, then the you. camera's not working at my house, is it? Yeah, if it has to run through the cloud, no. Now I understand why some people might yeah. see that as a feature and need it. If you're if you work away from home, you have a vacation property that you want to monitor remotely, then yes, it's great to monitor it through the cloud. But you also have to then understand that there are people in the middle that can see that footage. You're you're old enough to remember there there was a golden age where we had consumer electronic devices that would function even if you didn't have an internet connection. You they had that? to. I mean, I mean, it's been a really long time. <laughs> they had to. Could you imagine like if an Amazon Kindle now would be like, cannot connect to internet. We will not allow you to see the books you have on your device. I mean, that's what kind of what they do. Is that what that really? Uh, that's that bad. Now I'm glad I have all the old devices still. Uh, well, it, it, okay. So what they do is uh, you have a, a cloud-based digital library. Um, I, 
I had, I had a rant about that, but I dropped in an angry tech news already. I'm sorry. Um, but you have a cloud-based digital library that, le- you know, you, you purchase a thing and they just set a bit in the database that says, uh, you own this, which means among other things, you know, the, the problem I always have with digital libraries is it's really, really easy to go into the database that you have no control over and unset that bit. And now the thing that you spent money on is not yours anymore. Um, We've taken it away. The way it works with the Kindles and my wife has one is that up to the storage of your Kindle, you can download books to the Kindle. And once those books, you can go offline and they have a key that stays active for a a pretty long time that can uh, undo the DRM on the books while you're offline. But eventually you have to go back online to access the rest of your library. And if you're anything like my wife, there is no hard drive in existence that can store all of the books that are in my wife's digital library. I have no idea how many tens of thousands of dollars have gone from our, our finances to Amazon for the purpose of, of creating these books that really only exist in a database. Now, the plus side with digital books, at least is, is like most things that you can pirate. Once you've downloaded it, there is software out there that will strip the DRM. And if you convert it to, you know, an open or more open format like EPUB, then keep it on a local hard drive, then it's yours. Yeah, but I have a whole part of my NAS with uh, those ebooks. I have an Amazon Kindle. It is the uh, the Kindle Touch. I think it's called the Kindle 3 was what it was called. Either way, it is now 11 years old. Um, the battery is failing, so I have to charge it every night. I, one of the selling points of the Kindles was that you could charge it and then keep going for weeks yeah, and for weeks. months. No, <laughs> months. Well, this one, the, the battery has been used to the point where I have to have it on the charger every night or I don't get to read. Uh, it has been in airplane mode since 2015. Well, did you and use a Caliber for the software? Some great open source software. Actually, I use a USB drive and I copy text files to it. Wow, you are old school. Yeah. Which, which is hilarious because it had a bug where if, if a text file used uh, particular Unicode characters, then the, the parser could not handle it. And you would try to page forward and it would just not respond because it couldn't figure out how to display the next page. I, I just love that you can go in and hack the books and then, you know, give them to somebody else and just change key parts of it. Uh, they wouldn't they'd never know. You couldn't do that with an old book. With a paper but yes, book. Caliber is the software that you use if you have a bunch. If you have a Kindle library, here's here's the grumpy old Ben's tip. Go get Caliber and then look up there. Caliber itself does not offer the download of the actual component that breaks the DRM because they don't want to get sued into oblivion. Correct. But that is the software that's used. Caliber has a plug-in model. And if you look up how to do it on the Internet, there are lots and lots of tutorials of how to strip the DRM off of your Mobi files, which is the, the Kindle format. Download everything that you have ever paid money for from your Amazon library, strip the DRM off, and stick that into a backup drive somewhere. Because Amazon is becoming very, very woke. Uh, they are reaching the point where if you post the, you know, we, we're, we are quickly approaching and everybody thinks that I'm fucking chicken little when I say this, but we're getting there where if you post the wrong thing to the wrong internet forum, or you say the wrong thing on Twitter, or you drive your truck into Ottawa, Quebec, and they are going to come out and just flip some bits in the database and your $10,000 library 
is now gone because they say you violated your terms of service and we have the right to cancel and we don't even care. And of course, you're never going to see that money back. No, because if you have a digital library, back that shit up in an undrm format. Yeah. And it's a way better way to go. Now, I'm sure Amazon has no uh, question that I have bought over the years. I haven't bought any since uh, the eye issues really started because it's less fun to read. But I think we have purchased between for us and for you know my mom and for my uh, wife's grandmother. I think we've purchased like six different Kindles from Amazon. Never bought one book. So they're probably wondering, like, these people buy a lot of Kindles. Right, so they're not wondering. They know You're what's going definitely on. Definitely not alone. And, no. and that's the same way I use it. But but I went a step further and I I rooted my device. I put some I, I sideloaded some custom software, like, for example, a reader that doesn't choke on it, Unicode. Yeah, that um, would be bad. And and then I put the thing in airplane mode and it has never connected Amazon's network since. And by the way, if you are going to root a Kindle, which I'm not even sure is possible anymore, the Amazon folks have put a hell of a lot of effort into making it impossible to sideload software. So I don't know if it works on a modern Kindle, but if you do manage to root it or sideload, the first thing that every guide will tell you is make certain that the first thing you do is, uh, you know, you, you have to like disable a particular configuration or file or something like that, which basically makes it so that when the software goes and tries to auto update, which it does on its own, just, without constantly all automatic updates that it breaks the update because otherwise they're going to pull down an update, which will erase your root. And it might not be, it might not have the same vulnerabilities that they use to root it. And you not, you might not have be able to root it again. Then your SOL. And, and let me tell you, there's one, one very important reason why you would want to root a Kindle if you have one. And that is Kindles understand Moby which is Amazon's per- proprietary format that supports all the DRM and they support text, but not that well. Yeah. The formatting is not, they, they don't support PDF. They don't support EPUB. They don't support, they don't support any of the open formats that every other non Amazon book is distributed in. So that's why you would, if you have a Kindle, you want to root it because otherwise you can't read all the things you download. Yeah. Then you can understand all those other things, which makes it a lot more useful. It was the same okay, thing yeah. with the little uh, MP3 player that I bought the 11 year old one. Wife's happier than uh, pig and shit with that little player rooted to Rockbox because you can play uh, any high res file you want. It just works where the new yeah. stuff, it's all locked down. And speaking of lockdown, I was going to pull this for well one of the many podcasts that I do, but this would seem to be the uh, the best fitting one, which was. Uh, and I guess they're doing this in India and maybe China right now, but they believe it's coming to the United States, which is using your phone's lock screen to show ads. And yeah, I've seen that idea floated around. I didn't know it was happening. It seems like we're about to see that start happening. And, you know, maybe it's only going to happen. It's probably it'll start with it's not going to these- happen on my phone. Well, right. It'll start my, with the my phone's that lock screen like, shows a cat and nothing else. Do you want like free service? Well, then you'll get one of these phones, which you'll always, I think, you know, have to go along the route of. I'm like, if there's ever been a reason why you want to take your phone, root it out and put your own custom ROM in, it would be when your uh, phone company decides that they're going to start forcing ads 
onto your phone's lock screen, which, you know, I, I see it happening because the Kindle, you know, it, if you've seen a non-rooted Kindle, you know, that's what exactly what they do is when the thing goes into its sleep mode, it just puts an well, ad on the screen. I, I don't know if this is true now, but uh, back in the day, they would actually let you when you purchased the Kindle pay more. They would let you pay more money and they would give you one that displayed geometric shapes or something. Yeah. If you don't and, want to and see of course, And of course, when I rooted my Kindle, I went ahead and made it so it displays porn. Yeah, I was going to was it full motion. I mean, did you get that? Uh, no, no. Just in fact, in fact, I had to uh, I went and selected like 75 images and I had to manually cut them, crop them to exactly the right resolution <laughs> right. and convert to black and white because it's a, a e-ink Kindle. Right. Cause it, you can't so put it. It was color. actually quite a lot of work, but it's worth it because every day since when my Kindle <laughs> is off, I get an image. The amount of work you'll put into certain things. <laughs> it brings to uh, little was years and years ago. I did that. Yeah. But this is work. This is everything comes back around and I will guarantee you're going to start seeing this, especially in some of the more bargain cell phone carriers and ways for them to pump that latest thousand dollar device into your hands for only eight hundred dollars is oh well you'll take some ads right i, I i'll right. go ahead i know i reiterate this almost every show but i'm going to reiterate my policy on ads which is if you want me to watch advertisements let's negotiate on how much you're going to be charging me because i am quite certain uh, the the amount that i am offered for the exchange of watching ads is never, ever as much as I value my time. No, which and is so why, uh, if, even though if you want to give me a discount on what, you know, watching ads like, oh, yeah, that Kindle should be free. Yeah, forever. Uh, I'll, I'll let the lock screen show ads if it's free forever. And I also get free books. Then, you know what? Then my time is worth it. But <laughs> ads don't pay companies as much as I value my time, which is why I opt out of ads. And also. Companies don't enter into negotiations with the ad viewer as to how much the ad viewer values their time, which is why I block ads. And you never know who's seeing the ads, all of these metrics that they try to use and all of these uh, solutions to try to force you to view something. They don't know. You know, when we go back to like three sec, you know, watching three seconds of a 30 minute ad is counted as a view. I mean, there's all sorts Quiet. of crazy don't, stuff. Don't. Don't release the the secrets about ads and and mar- metrics being completely ineffective. You'll you'll collapse the ad market. Yeah, well, advertisers advertisers do not want to hear that their ads are useless. I watch very little YouTube. I enjoy watching uh, the Bandrew says podcast and his reviews that he does. I enjoy watching some of the music content, but I am not somebody that watches youtube for hours a day i mean it's a few videos here and there but i still say for 11.99 a month to not see ads i'm kind of happy paying it it's, and and for the cost of you block origin i'm happy paying that too you know that works on the desktop it doesn't work on the roku where i love watching the youtube on the big screen and uh for as of yet there is no solution for keeping those off on a Roku. Now, if there I, is what I do, I've got the laptop connected to the big screen. We'll see. There you go. I, I need laptops in every room instead of a Roku. Really. Maybe that's it. That would be, uh, I, although that would I, probably I cost more than 11 plight. bucks. <laughs> okay. So back in the day, the pie hole was actually able to block YouTube domains. Did it not do that anymore? Not for the, Ro- I speaks, I believe from what the last 
when I looked this up maybe a year or so ago, because I'm like looking for any reason not to pay Google the $11.99 a month, that the ads that they are now pushing through like the Roku app come from the YouTube domain. So it's, yeah, it's a lot trickier. I mean, that, it was a matter of time before they figured that one out. Right. Because it's like, oh, wait, you can block. Oh, yeah. Well, if you can block all of the different known domains that the ads are coming from, then. Then after great. after I abandoned Netflix, which I talked about last week, yeah, uh, because I, they're evil, man. First it was well, cuties, and then. Uh, but apparently, I never learned because uh, my watching void has been filled by Amazon Prime Video. <laughs> so you go from one big bad, you know. I just watched who, uh, who, by the way, serve their ads from the same server, so the pie hole doesn't seem to be able to block it. Oh, see, that's now the interesting thing on the Roku is they have the Roku channel. So there's actually a channel on the Roku called the Roku channel, which has a bunch of old television series and that, that you can watch. And I was wondering at first, I mean, I kind of figured it out pretty quick because I was like watching the shows every now and then, like once during a half hour show, you would get the little loading symbol for a brief second. And I'm like, Oh, well maybe it's just, (laughs) sending this in little pieces right but no that's where an ad would normally run but the pie hole is blocking those so you can watch whatever you want on the roku channel and you get no ads you just get a brief like it's like a half second where you see the little thing spinning and it's like no ad okay yeah and it goes the pie hole is a thing of beauty for you everybody should have one Everybody needs a pie hole. They're easy to set up. They're easy to get your network using. And and, and you don't even need to go by. I mean, first of all, you don't have an excuse not to have a pile of raspberry pies laying around. They're cheap and they're so important and useful. But even if you don't have one, go just get a, an old white. You know, I've got an old beige box in the basement that that I set up that I run it on or or a laptop or anything, anything that can run Linux can run a pie hole and, and, and has a, um, a network connection. Yes. And they're not super cheap anymore. I have no name as pointing that out for the more advanced ones, but you could still get like the pie, the zero, or, um, there's a few different models. If you get an earlier one, they're still fairly cheap. Like the current ones, which I think uh, is the four compared, compared to a, a, like a full on computer with a GPU. They're still cheap. Oh, no doubt. And that I went from, there was a bunch of the different, Android boxes that I had played with on the big screen in order to watch what was on my network. And those devices just always, they had a very short lifespan where they just started getting slow and they were usually running on like Android five. So. Okay. Stupid question. Can can you run a pie hole on Android? um, Because if that's true, then an old smartphone would probably, has anyone ever tried to turn a smartphone into a raspberry Pi? That's a good question. If you have, let us know. Yeah, I want I want to see that. But right, I on. finally went. I'm going to try because there's a few different of the uh, full packages for a Raspberry Pi. So rather than installing the operating system, then installing all the other stuff to watch the stuff off the network, there are uh, different packages put together. So it's a one stop shop. Everything's kind of set together for you. And this thing works great. Whatever the latest Raspberry Pi is, it is super fast. You know, when you're going through the different pages, when you're loading up, you know, hundreds of titles at once, it automatically goes through based upon 
the titles and for like television shows, it brings graphics up for what the show is and who was in it and the whole bit. And it's just like it just magically works and highly recommended using the uh, Cody software for with the Raspberry Pi and Libra. I think it's Libra Calc or something of uh, you use that distro for the Raspberry Pi and it just works. It's beautiful. I like when things just work. I like when things just work and not in the Apple way where they just work 80% of the time and everybody gushes about it. But the other 20%, you know, may God have mercy on your soul because Apple won't. Well, that's still my problem with I loved and it was still fast enough to do most of the stuff that I want with it. But I've got a MacBook Pro from 2009, which is still very functional. Except for the fact oh, not, that not as far as Apple's concerned, right? They won't update any software on it. And uh, I mean, I can run Windows 11 on it, but I can't run <laughs> the Mac software. I mean, go figure that, right? Uh, Bastards. I'm, try, I'm, I'm just trying to imagine which is a worse fate. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it was really nice back in the day because there was a lot of stuff that was only. I, I mean, I, I bet there are plenty of Linux distros that would be the way to go. Probably. But you could also add that so you could just flip between the three of them and be happy. Like, oh, I need to do something on Windows. Okay, I can load that. Oh, I need to do something that's only Mac, which for Mac, the only program I really enjoyed was Logic Pro X, you know, because you can't call it Logic Pro 10. But Logic Pro X was their uh, their answer to the professional music and multi-track recording. And it works absolutely fantastic, even on that old machine. and. So that was worth having the, you know, the Mac software around for. But then if you had to run something else, you could do Windows or you could run the Linux on it. But now all these, it's way too locked down. And that's the worst part about all the Apple stuff is they want to lock everything down. And their later devices are less useful. I mean, they're great if you want to run Mac OS, but otherwise, not so much. And who doesn't? But you're right, don't you? No. Oh. Did you have a, a specific Apple rant or was that just a uh, generic Apple sucks comment? No, that was a generic Apple rant. <laughs> that's, that's enough. <laughs> that is Do enough. I need a reason? I don't need a reason to rant. That's my secret. I'm always grumpy. No. And uh, I think people need to realize just to circle back to the Amazon thing for an instant is uh, everything you do. If you have a device, everything you do is being monitored in one way, shape or form. Even if you think you've turned everything off. You're still being monitored in some shape or form. And it's so hard to get away from that with consumer devices these days. For for example, um, I, I, I can't say for certain because I've never I've not purchased one recently, but I read uh, a report somewhere may or may not be reliable that uh, Samsung TVs have started uh, making it so the TV doesn't work out of the box anymore. You have to connect it to the Internet and give create a login account with samsung.com before your tv works i i, 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 I can't verify that. that i just heard that somewhere i remember doing a story a couple of years ago about a bunch of big screens that were stolen in south africa i believe and i think they were samsung it wasn't a couple of years ago i did that on angry tech news about five months ago oh well maybe it happened again maybe but the whole concept then was samsung was like haha we'll just shut them all off Yes. 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 I ranted about that too. It's like, damn, uh, that's, uh, that's an interesting concept that, that there's something built into the device 
yeah. that they could just uh it's it's when you it's not that they're shutting it off because it's stolen it's that they're letting you know that they can shut it off right they're <laughs> like so it's like I, but to I, do I, that I, they've got to be see here's the thing now to do that the biggest downfall at that point if i remember correctly was well what if somebody just never connects them to the internet then it's like well then they're fucked but now what you're saying makes total sense which would be oh we've updated the firmware to require you to connect to the internet for your tv yeah. to work yeah like, like the tv is just a brick until you connect to the internet you turn it on and it doesn't show you any it doesn't show you the the like full-on android uh, app that that is the operating system in these tvs anymore it shows you a login screen i mean it's it's like windows 11 yeah and you have it's, to I mean, I, I'm still not uh, real happy about the whole Windows. You have to create a Windows login in order to access your machine. I, I And I agree with you. And there's a very effective way to get around that. I think I've given this trick before. Oh, install Linux. Anything but Windows. Yeah. But that's only for people that want to okay. really deal with hassles and software not being available and drivers not working for audio devices. and. I have one, I have one other story about a company I love to rant about, but I'm not going to start this one with a rant because you are one of the few people that I respect that still will defend the act of going on Twitter and actually using it for communication for marketing devices. And And uh, I know it's a stretch to say that I respect you, but for the purpose of this argument, for the sake of argument, right? Let's pretend in a perfect world. Yeah. Are there Um, unicorns in this world? Twitter, and I, I, I want your reaction to this because I think you're going to have, have a better handle on what this means than I will. Twitter has just rolled out a feature called unmentioning. Um, and I got this one from The Verge, so I had to pull a quote from The Verge. says, quote, you might want to use this feature if you're stuck in a toxic conversation. Okay, what is this feature? Uh, what the feature is, is if you, know, you will get, uh, in, in the, the dot, dot, dot hamburger menu or whatever it is, um, on a conversation that you have been tagged in, you can pull down the thing and say, uh, leave this conversation. And according to the page at help.twitter.com, uh, it says, quote, you'll receive a prompt that lets you know people can't mention you again in this conversation. And once you leave the conversation, your username or handle, link will be hidden. Um, so what it's saying is, and, and this is a real problem on Twitter. It's a real problem on Mastodon too. Right. Trust me. I've been there Right, where somebody tags you in a conversation, but you weren't really involved. You just happen to be, you know, especially if you're somebody who, who maybe does a show that talks about tech news and then somebody brings up a, a, a link or a story about look look at this tech news story out here and I'm like I don't care and then well, the conversation fair, goes on for 40 more messages I was going to say to be fair any message your response is pretty much I don't care well yes that is in <laughs> fact my default and you know somebody's like hey you know Bemrose I want to get on the stream I don't care yeah hey Bemrose you know I loved your show I don't care <laughs> it's it's a, yeah, it's a very simple answer but it yeah, works for it's, everything it's easy but which is why I don't listen to notifications on that platform. Wait, I do. Okay, never mind. I'll shut up. So 
The problem is somebody tags you early in a conversation and then the conversation goes on with other people and you are tagged in the next 50 messages. It is spam. It clutters up your shit. Twitter is offering a solution, which is you say, I want to be removed from this conversation. Now, you, if, if you were going to solve, if I were going to solve that, I would introduce, uh, may, you know, maybe bring in threading, maybe introduce some kind of filtering, uh, so that I don't have to see it. But Twitter, from where I'm sitting, appears to have just gone the authoritarian route. And it's the same rant I have against blocking, which is it serves the same purpose just to say, I don't want to see this conversation. But instead, Twitter is imposing your will on other people. By saying you can't mention somebody if 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 I tag you in a thread and you say I don't want in this conversation, then it what I'm reading here is now I can't put your name into my messages. And it seems like a pretty small infringement, but that that is going beyond giving you filter tools because you don't want to hear me and instead saying, No, I'm sorry, but you can't say that. And and it, it just like Twitter is so used to just stomping on people's freedom of speech left and right that they don't seem to have any problem at all bringing this in and be like, yeah, we notice there's a problem here and our solution is censorship. Well, with Twitter, the genie's out of the bottle, and that is the biggest problem that they're having. Most of the features that are on Twitter we're never supposed to be on Twitter. It's just how people <laughs> started using things, which is interesting to see how it all evolves in this case, I believe it only means for that thread, which means if somebody mentions you in that thread, you can't be re-added to the, uh, into the thread. And I know people like Adam Curry have way bigger problems with this than we do. Everybody wants to add them in. And like, then the thing, like you said, goes on a thousand messages and it's like, this is, I don't, I don't want to follow this. So It, it is absolutely a real problem, especially for celebrities, which fortunately, thank God I am not a celebrity. You know, I, think I don't have to deal with these problems on but, Twitter, like Mastodon. I think you can still do mute this conversation, which would stop you from and, seeing and that's filtering tools. And I approve of that. Right. What, what I'm here's, here's the thing that rubbed me the wrong way. If, if, if they are just saying, I don't want to see this conversation anymore. It's not even a story. I'm like, yes. Awesome. That is a quality of life thing for people who really do have a real problem of being tagged in too damn many conversations. Okay. I get that. But the thing that rubbed me the wrong way is, uh, they, and they don't say, and again, this is, you know, help.twitter.com and The Verge were my two sources. So already. Neither very helpful. No, they're both terrible. So I, I, I guess my question is for people who still have a Twitter account, you know, can we find out? Because I want to know if you get, if somebody says, I want out of this conversation. Well, First of all, the the primary way that their name keeps getting tagged over and over again is you everybody. This this is a problem that's this is a problem that's been for an an email for 30 years, ever since Microsoft Outlook made reply all the default. Uh Um, People want out of the conversation. It would be easy for Twitter to store in their database something that says when someone clicks reply all and it populates 75 tags into your tweet, it just doesn't put that one in. That doesn't seem invasive, but if, if you say you want out of a conversation and I decide to manually re-add with at Darren O'Neill and trying to get the guy in Australia, then will it let me? 
And from what I'm reading on help.twitter.com, it sounds like it's just going to say, no, you can't send this tweet because you're trying to tag somebody who doesn't want to be in the conversation. And yeah, that's what I would take it. That, that rubs me the wrong way. Again, it's, it's the question of, you know, if, if I can, if I can say, I don't want to see this, then it doesn't, you know, if I can successfully not see the conversation, then I shouldn't care what other people are doing. But instead, it sounds like Twitter is deciding to impose my will on everybody else, which is a perfectly natural thing to do for a censorship company. But it just doesn't strike me as as open conversation. The mute conversation would make way more sense if you just didn't want to be getting any more. It seems uh, like that solves the problem. Yeah, it it feels like it like trying to prevent somebody from typing at your name because you just, you know, you have want a sense of self-importance to attach to your you're not seeing the message. It, it, it again feels like the mute versus block. And I have received so much flack from people who are like, well, block is better because, you know, I feel an emotional thrill from knowing that not only do I not have to see the conversation, but I also made some the world more pissed off in the process. OK, so I went down and was just scanning through some tweets where had that multiple people are mentioned in because this is where it's going to come in and our buddy no beret here's a tweet that also tagged adam and john and a couple of other people now if i click the little hamburger menu i have a few options i can unfollow no beret no i don't want to do that i can add a remove nobody wants to do that that guy's awesome i know i can add or remove him from list no i can mute him no i can mute this conversation or i can leave this conversation and i don't really understand I think it's the difference between mute and block. It, it, well, leaving, I think it's the difference because because block is is mute plus piss off the other guy. So leaving is yeah because otherwise if you hit mute this conversation then anything else that comes after I shouldn't see. Yeah, that wouldn't send me a notification. I won't see it. Leaving this which conversation, solves the problem on your end. The problem is you are getting a bunch of notifications you don't want and the mute the mute solves it yes oh you know what i did just think of one example though that maybe you would want to leave the conversation like if somebody posts like some kkk crazy shit and posts it you don't want to be associated with it yes you want to totally dissociate yourself from that post that's the best argument i've heard so far it's the only one that makes sense because otherwise you would just never see it but you don't want people searching for your name to be like, hey, this guy sent him some really war Nazi racist stuff. And he's just. Yeah. And so- there's something extremely broken about Twitter that that, you know, like, I mean, all of this could play out if you just decide not to log into Twitter for the duration of the conversation. Somebody posts a bunch of of Nazi KKK stuff, whatever. Right. Tags you in it. And then you end up getting canceled and you don't even know what happened. Well, because you didn't. You didn't denounce this fast enough. Well, this, I mean, this sounds like a fundamental problem of cancel culture and not the communications medium. Yes. Oh, obviously this is all about cancel culture and everybody's going to get canceled sooner or later. So we can all feel good about that. Whether that's well, uh, good I, or not. I, I don't know. I just, I read this and I'm like, they could have implemented this the way the mute conversation works. Uh, at least, at least the way it works on Mastodon, which is the only one I know. Right. And since but, they have both, that would lead me to believe that's the reason that there is. You want to pull your name out of that conversation. Or, I mean, maybe it's. Uh, 
See, what I assume is the reason is that Twitter absolutely condones censorship and they are uh, steeped in a culture where uh, silencing others speech for your own personal means is a perfectly valid form of expression. Well, that they do. And now they're going after Elon because he doesn't want to buy him now. <laughs> that was a hilarious story. Do you want to talk about that one? I mean, I think it's fantastic. The we don't want to sell to Elon. We don't want to sell to Elon. OK, we'll sell to Elon. Well, then he says, no, yeah, thanks. no, no, we're suing Elon to make him. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, we have to we have to make him take it. And uh, I think the podfather, Adam Curry, has a very interesting take on this, which is Elon did this whole thing just to mess with Twitter and to devalue uh, he's always it. maintained that he was trying to destroy Twitter and. Whether that was Elon's goal originally, he's doing a pretty good job of it. He is. He's not, not that he he didn't have a lot of help from Twitter. The interesting thing is, though, that all they had to do was accurately give him some information and the deal would have gone through Twitter saying that they. From their research, that they believed that only five percent of their user base on Twitter were spam or bot accounts. That to me is laughable because if I just had to guess just by perusing them, I would guess it's like 30%. If I may clarify, uh, when Elon started this whole thing, um, Twitter was already falling into a trap of their own creation. And I don't think that telling the truth to Elon would have solved the problem for them. And the reason is, uh, the SEC filing back in January, was it where Twitter uh, uh, accounted to to its the SEC and, and therefore to investors? So that's where the the legal stuff comes in that only five percent are bots. And um, the moment that you say a statement like that, you had better be certain it's true or you're in some serious legal deep shit for lying to your own investors. and. They they could have come out and said, yeah, we're 35% bots and their advertising would have co- collapsed. Or they could say, we're only 5% bots and their advertising would hold up and maybe they can get away with lying to investors and quietly try to create tools that maybe make it so they're not bots if they feel like doing the work or just cover it up indefinitely. But I think, and, and I don't know if this was Elon's original plan, but it certainly falls in with with Adam's assertion. Um Elon came in and once Elon started the process they were going to be found out in that lie. And then the only question is uh do you do you cop to the lie and face investor and SEC backlash? Uh do you cop to the lie and and uh face the complete collapse of your advertising revenue model or do you just keep pushing and pushing and try to keep it covered up? And Elon was not interested in, in the bullshit of the latter solution. So I think by the time he came in, they had already screwed themselves. Well, I was most interested because I haven't been following Twitter this closely to look at their bottom line, but on the last no agenda, Adam Curry mentioned that they're still losing money every quarter. (laughs) Which it's like, okay, okay, this is now you're asking the question, like if they're still losing money for for a Silicon Valley company over a decade. Yeah. yeah, So this isn't a brand new company. This is with hundreds of millions of users. Yeah, probably the the place every every Silicon Valley company tries to get. Yeah. The most used social media, I believe maybe TikTok is eclipsed it by now. I don't know. 
but probably the most trafficked social media. So, of course, it's worth something, but you can't make money at it. That's an interesting uh, question. And I didn't even think about the fact that, okay, if Elon does take over, though, if they force Elon to take over, how much does Elon have their nuts in the ringer if he does an internal <laughs> audit and is like, oh, you know, 40% are bots. So the people that told yeah. you it was 5% that you, all of you people who had invested in this company. Then- and, and, you know, I, I don't understand. Like if, if the goal is to maintain that lie, which I feel like they have to, because to, for, for that lie to come out means a, a horrible scrutiny from the SEC who already like the, the government, even the Democrats who are fully supported by Silicon Valley are turning on, on Silicon Valley and saying, Hey, you guys are kind of evil here. And, and the government is supposed to have a monopoly on doing horrible things to the public. Um, you know, when, when I, <laughs> when I brought that, uh, Amazon story earlier, the one who sent the letter to Amazon saying, how, how much are you guys screwing us for privacy was uh, Ed Markey from Massachusetts. Massachusetts has not elected a Republican in, in 50 years. So Ed Markey is a Democrat and is the one who's coming out and saying, Amazon, what the hell? So facing, trying to face further government inquiry, facing a backlash from your investors because your company's not worth what it was and facing the collapse of your advertisement model as the advertisers go, what have we been paying for all this time? I don't know why. Twitter came around and decided to sue Elon to say, go through with it. He gave them an out. He, the, the, their best play at that moment was, okay, fine. You're not buying. Let's go back to business as usual and pretend like nobody saw under the kimono at any point. Right. Nobody no, knows. There's Elon's going to fucking run discovery and, and get everything that he's been de- like the entire reason he pulled out is Twitter was not forthcoming with their information. Now with this lawsuit, He's going to have lawyers come through and say, uh, you are now legally required at threat of gunfire to give me the information I was demanding in civil in, in the civil thing before. And that is not the number that Twitter wants to give if what everybody seems to know. I mean, again, we haven't seen the actual data, but we've seen Twitter enough to know that it's like it's way more than five percent that are bot accounts, that are fake accounts, that. I mean, I don't even know how many are accounts that just haven't been accessed in months or years because that happens all the time fairly quickly, too, that people just give up on it. And there's really hasn't been a lot of talk about how many accounts might be owned by a single person. I mean, I've got shit like double digits. I think are we talking like Mark Cuban here or like which person? (laughs) I'm just saying, like, how many accounts any one person may have? That, you know, I've had one for multiple podcasts, different websites. Uh, so, I mean, I if I go back and look, there's a lot of abandoned Twitter accounts that I used to use that I no longer use. I've repurposed some because you can do that. So in, in the official results, I, I'm certain that they wouldn't mention that as as bots, because obviously, you know, at least as far as Twitter's concerned, you're not a bot. I don't think. Are you a bot? Probably not today. When was the last time you checked the I am not a robot? Because we have to check these things sometimes. I don't know. Is that a thing? Will it tell us? Is it accurate? (laughs) I doubt it. It Would that be a website we should pop up with? Uh, Are we real? Am I real? It's it's something people can go to every day just to check. Yeah. Uh, Just self-affirmations. Pretty much. I, 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 I do know that Twitter never put in an SEC filing 
uh, you know, this is how many, this is how they all say, this is how many accounts are held by real people. But you bring up a really good point, which is the number of accounts versus the number of real people, even if they're held by real people, right? They're not going to be the same number. No, no, because if I have 10, that means some people have 20, some people have a hundred, some people have a thousand Twitter accounts. Well, yeah, and some, yeah, some people have, you know, a thousand or tens of thousands or a hundred thousand, but I think those are actually called botnets. Probably. Although they might be attached to real people if you've got enough money to pay. Also, if, if you're willing to spend enough time in the Twitter app to manage it, to, to, yeah, just to sign up for a thousand accounts manually, my hat's off to you, but also get a life. If you could figure out how to automate that. Then you're bots. dealing with all the captures, <laughs> right? Then you then you're back to being a bot. Then it's bots, and that's what a lot of it is. And I'm behind Elon on that. And uh, you know, as we have said with any of these social media things, Elon's got enough money to roll his own. Why doesn't he? the arg- The only argument that really holds any water is the argument that we've used, which is why are Amazon and eBay and sites like that so big, they were first. Yeah. That's the reason why in Twitter, okay, if I go do a Twitter clone, how do I get everybody on Twitter to come over? You can't. So there it's, is some value. If you really wanted to take that over, you have to buy Twitter. Well, the, the the method, actually, the, the Fediverse is doing a pretty good job with that. How do you get everybody to leave Twitter and and come over to your network? Well, all you have to do is not ban them and let Twitter ban them. Right. Well, that helps. When Twitter bans them, they have to go somewhere. Go, go go ask Truth Social. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, Trump thought he was going to come out strong with that and uh, not so much. Not so much. Well, yeah. I, I know they're in trouble, but I haven't really been following. Are, are they just in trouble because nobody cares or are they, like there there was hint of a scandal? I just don't know if it's it's a manufactured scandal like Russiagate or if it's uh, actually having problems. I can't quite figure it out or don't have enough data. Okay. Then, then we're not the right people to talk about, are we? No, but it never stopped us before. That's true. But uh, we do have a few people to thank. I mean, I know we're a value for value show, but we're not a, we're going to read your ad yes. for 33 cents show. Or are we? I don't know. It's hard to tell. I, I'm not planning on it. <laughs> we did get a, a nice donation in during the show. From Darian Rundle, who I believe donated in the past to Grumpy Old Ben's. And he says, okay, you knuckleheads, you get my donation. Need jobs karma so I can send more. So, uh, I mean. You and I, me both. Yeah, I don't know what is. Do we, we, do we have jobs karma? I mean, I can give you a. Uh, I, I, I think that I don't, is bullshit. That's about all I got. Uh, that That's as close as we come to karma. Or I got. Rock and roll, motherfuckers. Rock and roll. I mean, there's that. I mean, that's kind of like karma. But we hope you get a gig. It's a uh, interesting time. Yes. I, I I wish you luck. And uh, you know what? Actually, you, you get luck. You, you are going to have it because you donated to Grumpy Old Ben's. That is all the karma you need. We don't, we don't have a fancy jingle for the karma. We just know. You are getting dude named Ben Karma, and you are going to land an awesome job. This shit's going to happen. Let's do it. Do it. Oh. Yeah. And, and, and then once you get that really awesome job, if uh, if you can send some business my way. <laughs> if you can hire uh, Ryan. He, he's a great programmer. He works in his underwear, but you don't have to watch. Uh, and, and it's two for one deal because you get a cat with it. Oh, well, that's a bargain at any price. 
but also coming in at the monthly $2.93, which has been going on for like two years or so. Brian Hall, and we appreciate that. He was one of the early ones and Grumpy Old Benz. We always used to say, you know, just a small monthly donation is great. And there it is. There it is. And uh, then CSB, of course, he comes in with his 15. I thought this was the greatest thing ever, though, in this uh, before Darian came in. And we thank him for being the executive producer, number one on the list today. CSB's 15,033 sats was $2.92 right before the show started. <laughs> and Brian Hall always comes in with two ninety three. So I thought that was fantastic. That CSB well, was you beaten go. by a penny. CSB just got upstaged. Because the uh, crypto market is down. Yeah. That's remember why. the days when CSB used to be sending uh, like like $50 worth of Bitcoin? Or- that was a much more beautiful thing. And you now he sends the streaming sats to this show. He sends them to Curry and the Keeper. He sends them over to podcasting. I mean, there, there are a lot more shows now that are, they, 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 I mean, for a podcast listener, you've got to be in, this is a golden age where there are so many quality shows out there and there's a lot of really crappy shows out there, but you don't have to listen to those, which is the amazing part of podcasting. Yeah. It's not like cable where you get a bundle deal, but we appreciate CSB for supporting a lot of different shows. Yes. Yes, we do. And for, for single-handedly keeping the network propped up in some cases. This is true. And adding content to all of them. But I'm still not reading your ad. He says, howdy, Ryan and Darren, but he spelled Darren, D-A-R-E-N. Is that he was still- talking about my other co-host. Oh, Darren. Darren. Is he like, sounds like a Bajoran or something. Darren. <laughs> yes, Darren. We will do this. More tech talk, please. Well, I mean, there was plenty of that today. There was. I've, I've actually, my the one story I've got left is probably the geekiest one or the, the most technical one. Well, we will be getting to that. But he says, Ryan. What kind of tech job do you do now? So this is a hitting a sore spot. He, he, I'm a podcaster. Yes, he needs he needs. OK, CSB, do you have job karma? And maybe CSB can do some job karma for you. He invites our audience to his podcast about artificial intelligence, which is a delightful show. It is a good show. It runs. The and I hear about stream. it on I hear about it on other podcasts a lot. Well, CSB has realized that are a lot of shows that will do marketing for next to nothing. Yes. And it's, nice. and also I want to point out CSB called you out. He called you out. Oh no. For letting me interrupt <laughs> while you were trying to read his note. Oh, you mean like this one here? Like, like what we're doing right now. Yes. It is narrated the show by Gregory William Forsyth Foreman from Kent, which is in the uh, UK. I believe still it's hard to tell the UK. They're very confusing. Just enter into your web browser or any podcast app. How do you know it works in any podcast app, CSB? Have you tried them all, to be fair? Have you tried any does, podcast does app? Does it work on my Zoom? <laughs> do you have a podcast app on your Zoom? I did back when I was capable of syncing files. Oh, those bastards. AI.cooking is where you want to be. And it is one of the better domains along with his cartoon website, csb.lol. I would kill. I mean, back in the day, do you remember you'd kill for a domain that was a total of six letters. Dot LOL. Yeah. Yes. CSB dot LOL. And they're funny well, little doodles. So you just go I, over there. I remember back in the day when I was a super poor college student and couldn't afford to buy up a ton of domains thinking, you know, if I had money, now would be the time to buy up. Just 
every every domain that is three letters, there's only what twenty six cubed of those. True. Every one that is only three letters long in a dot com, just buy them all. You and would be Mark Cuban today. Yeah, I would. In fact, that's kind of what Mark Cuban did. It's the only <laughs> important thing he's ever done in his uh, life. Yeah, kind of. Uh, also got a boostergram during the show for six one six nine six nine from Boobery, who says was trying to come up with something witty, but instead just going to state that I'm glad to be listening live to Grumpy Old Ben's again. Well, we're glad you're live, Boobery. So I also have on my list one from Phoenix. Oh, yes. Phoenix and Phone Boy. Phoenix and Phone Boy, a delightful show where Phone Boy has finally relaxed and slowed down and is delivering the yes. content. It's it's incredible how much Phone Boy has slowed down and, and he, he stopped the cocaine, I guess. I mean, he I also liked his part in I liked his part in the uh, did did you hear it was after uh, after the millennial media or OK. We had uh, let me back up. We had five live shows in a row in a row back to back on Sunday. It was the biggest day the no agenda stream has ever had. And there's a funny story about that because first of all, we started the morning even before I got up with, uh, and, and I, I just, I'm fucking bragging right here. So put up with it. Uh, Pfeiffer and Fletcher doing the two hour folk hour. Yeah. And which is I only name. caught the last few minutes of that, but I was glad to have finally caught it at all because, you know, they do it early in the morning and you know how much I hate the mornings. They make me grumpy. But those, that show went live. Starting at 7 a.m. left coast time. Right after that was the rock and roll pre-show with some guy who plays a bunch of music. I don't know what his deal is. But it's a great show. And right after that was no agenda. Immediately following show. no agenda was the millennial media offensive, which is the, the usual up next live that we always do. Um, they had the time slot, but I knew about those shows. And so. Before No Agenda, when Adam signed in and we were talking in the back channel, I said something, you know, like, hey, this is a really awesome day. We've got four live shows back to back on the No Agenda stream today. What could possibly be better? And you, asshole, come out tongue in cheek and are like, well, what would be better would be five shows. And so Adam, right at the beginning or during the, the first uh, producer segment on No Agenda is like, we have five live shows on the no agenda stream today. I'm like, you just made me a liar. Well, I said you had a lot, a little bit of time to make that uh, right. And so what happened was not long after I get a message. Actually, I got a message from my wife who was at work at the time and says, Hey, Phoenix wants to know if we have a slot on the no agenda stream. She's got a new show. Okay. First of all, Phoenix, my wife, runs almost everything about my life, but she doesn't run the stream. <laughs> she sounds so, like she does though now. So <laughs> it's kind of what happened. So I, I ping Phoenix. I'm like, what is going on? She's like, well, I got a new show I want to try out. Um, and I'm like, and, and first of all, I'm thinking, and you want a regular slot on the stream. I, You're most like, shows don't get yeah, a regular yeah, slot on soon, the stream. Too soon. You've got to prove but, yourself. I'm like, uh, let's apply the Sir Mathieu rule for just a moment. Four shows but, plus. <laughs> Where is that son of a bitch? He's gone missing too. Haven't I, seen him in the troll room in a long time. I, given that angry tech news appears to be heading the same direction. I'm not going to give him too much crap right now. Uh, you made it over but four it, episodes though. But the funny thing is, um, 
I was thinking about the conversation earlier where Adam made me a liar and said there were five shows. And I'm like, well, are you going to be ready today? Like right after millennial media? Uh, I guess so. I guess we can be ready. Good. You're on. Tell phone boy and get his ass working. So that was the bar. It doesn't matter how good or bad the show is. Can you do it at this time? What I'm saying is a completely brand new untested show popped into the stream right after millennial media offensive. And and it's your fault, Darren. Yeah. That's my fault. It is your fault. I let phone boy on. Damn. I just want you to know that, that it is your fault that we let the, the funny thing about murder with Phoenix debut its very first episode on the no agenda stream live. And, uh, after, after MMO, after four shows, there was still a little over 200 people on the stream. So and I have to ask, is this and one of those uh, true crime podcasts? It is a true crime podcast, which is by far the most overused genre of podcasts ever <laughs> in the entire history well? of podcasts. Oh, come on. But if, if you can make it, Hey, you know, there is one of the shows that is in my regular lineup is a true crime podcast called the creep off with, with Carl from WATP. Uh, so I, I'm not going to say I don't have my vices. And you know what, Phoenix, if you can make that show rock, then make the show rock. But I don't know that you're going to be going live with the next several just yet. Still has. Well, everybody, you've got to get over and you, you've got to well, get. Like, actually, the, uh, actually, you can go. They have their own stream. They can go live all they want on that. And that's good. But, but I, you know, I liked the show, uh, especially the part which which she left in against my advice, where uh, in the first five minutes of the show, uh, instead of doing the show that they, they scripted and planned out and had all the drops ready. And they did was, I mean, it was, it was a very produced show and she spent a good 40 seconds at the very beginning of the show screaming at phone boy because he couldn't make his cues. <laughs> so that is some quality podcasting right there. See, now that does sound like an entertaining show. Now, did you see John C. Dvorak's comment to me on No Agenda Social? I mean, I didn't know if I should take yeah, how it. You're as, diluting your brand? Yes, as a compliment or as a criticism that I'm like, hey, I do a lot of shows. So listen to them. <laughs> I'd like some feedback. And it's like, well, you're diluting. I'm like, okay, but but how? Because I'm doing four different shows and then I counted. I mean, the, Wait, I don't count the rock and roll pre-show as does, a podcast. Does he say your shows are diluted with a T or diluted? With I a think D? they might be they might be both. They're diluted and diluted. So, I mean, it could very well be both. But I'm like, but yeah. I'm just learning from Adam. I mean, Adam has no agenda, which is six hours a week plus, which all of my shows combined are about six hours a week. But Adam's got no agenda. He has MoFax, which I know is not weekly anymore, but he has the podcasting 2.0, which is pretty much weekly. And he has the keeper, uh, Tina and uh, Curry and the keeper, which is also pretty much weekly. Yeah, I don't I I don't think she would let him reduce that one, though. No, that's a great show. And my whole point was I'm just getting the uh, the much needed experience. Where, I mean, I it, sure, I could do one show once or twice a week, but then I wouldn't have as many hours behind the microphone. And I think that there's a little bit of truth to that 10,000 hours bullshit where it's like the more you do something, the more comfortable you are. And hopefully the better you get as you do it. And that's why I was also asking for input from people is that, OK, Grumpy Old Benz is not the same format. I mean, it's two old assholes talking to each other, but as unrelenting. Which- which it, two old assholes talking to each other is kind of the format of a third of the shows out there. Kind of. People <laughs> seem to like that. Yeah, it, it works. That's why it, it's easy to produce and it works. Yeah. 
and uh, Planet Rage with Larry's a little bit different and the solo show is a little different. And I think they all have their unique things. And now, I mean, if, if one day one of the shows all of a sudden is getting 10 times the audience, well, then that will that would take some uh, preference, I'm sure. But until then, it's like I'm just having fun. And I told JCD, I'm like, mold me. So if you're out there, JCD, I mean, we've heard for years that JCD really took Jen Briney under his wing and helped her become the huge success that she is, which we should all, we should all really like give JCD a lot of, Oh yeah. You know, we should give him some love like, for that. What the hell John? <laughs> Could you pick somebody better like me? JCD mold me. That's what I said. I'm waiting. Uh, that's that you do. You get more airtime than most producers during the art segment, mostly, but I hardly win. They're, the art they're molding anymore. you every art segment when they're like, yeah, we hate Darren. Uh huh. They're, when they're never going to pick my art ever again. And uh, it's okay. I contribute in other ways. I'm really glad to do it. I'm glad Time, talent, to treasure. I'm controlling. Right. Trolling is the fourth T. Yes. Well, they need to add the T and we get the trolls way popped out. We get them ready to go. Yeah. And uh, we appreciate it. Like Servo. He and also just sent in a 3333 boost. That said, I, check I was out about to ask if, if we're out of. If we're out of the, that segment yet, because a couple more just came in. Yeah. Check out grumpy dot com. That's I, I heard that site's pretty good. Servo. Yes. And, and then net net who uh, I, I, he, he seems like he's having a stroke. He says, love uh, grumpy love old Sven's. With Yash and Stosh pierogies for all. I mean, I do like pierogies. I do like pierogies. Uh, are, are you Yash or Stosh? I don't I, know what that means. Um probably stash because i am you know part polish so that would work okay, out and ned, ned we need you to explain what the hell you're talking about so go ahead and send another boost right like we could only um, you could only speak okay. that way uh and did we talk about the booberry one um i don't believe so but i was just going to go back to a post oh, okay. that net ned made in the troll room when he got okay. here which said since work is getting in the way of me listening today i would like to offer my take my take is fuck Windows, fuck Bill Gates, fuck Steve Ballmer, fuck Clippy, and fuck server hardware. I added Clippy because fuck Clippy. So and why haven't we had NetNet on as a guest on this show again? We should. We should definitely have NetNet. <laughs> it Net sounds on. like he'd fit. And yeah, he's got that uh, Detroit attitude. The Detroit attitude and Booberry. Didn't we? No, I think we mentioned Boo. Didn't we mention Boo? Did we? What was trying to come up with something witty, but instead just going to state, I'm glad to be listening live to grumpy old Ben's again. Yes. We were really happy. He was listening live and not dead. Yes. Our it, dead it, listeners boost a lot less. Yeah. And more importantly, I need him to keep doing that, that show of his behind the Schwems. Right. The Schwems are great. Yeah. Love is lit dot radio or something, right? Is that what his, something? His? Yeah. We're terrible at plugging. It is. Um, <laughs> but there was another one I didn't hear you say uh, from Sir Spencer. I don't see a Sir Spencer. Oh, I see a Sir Spencer uh, boosting for having my own bank and payment processor running on the lightning network. Nothing to advertise other than my love for the uh, love for the grumpy old Benz. Have to scroll. <laughs> oh, well, we appreciate that. Even if I didn't get yeah. it on the. In the well, it, gram, you I might not see. have got it yet because uh, I, I actually have something I'm extremely happy with Sir Spencer about. And I didn't even realize this was happening. But apparently I was missing uh, some larger boosts to my nodes because my channels got all clogged up because I haven't really been maintaining them right. Yeah. And Spencer closed the channel to my node and reopened a much, much larger one, which means that because that is now the fattest pipe coming to my node, Spencer is probably going to end up getting a cut in uh, trans uh, 
travel fees from everybody who boosts my shows. Nice. So, but uh, I really appreciate it. That's also probably why it got to me so much sooner is because it's, there's a direct line. But I didn't get it in my Boostagram, Sir Spencer. I'm still worried because we were split for a while. There were two the different. other possibility is that Spencer likes me, but he doesn't like you. Let's see. That is obvious. I mean, that is him. very common. It, there's a lot of people out there like that. In so fact, I, I, I would I, venture to say 98% of the people who listen to this show don't like you. So I get CSB but, and you get everybody else. Yeah, you, you can have CSB. <laughs> I'll take but them. it's great. It's great, though, because we kind of partition because there's the people who love you and hate listen me and the people who love me and hate listen you. That's why this show works. It's, it's yeah. some, something for everybody, really. And you want to uh, support this show? Well, you go to grumpyoldbenz.com slash donate. And I will say I just realized on Satoshi's dot stream. I don't know how it all works with your own node. But I've been using Satoshi's.stream to do this since uh, we started taking any of the streaming payments. And I just realized that for every show, you can export a uh, little, uh, ex- uh, what do you call it? A spreadsheet. That's what I'm looking for. File. And it'll tell you all of your top boosters show by show. It'll show you when people were streaming. Oh, it'll they do show analytics you. for you. Yes. So I'm like, oh, damn, that's kind of nice. So we may have some more of that information moving forward, but now you can see if somebody's like logged in with their name, you could even see if they're sending something every minute while they're listening, streaming, you can see all the boosts, all the boostograms show up in there. But I know we were uh, splintered for a while because we were in the podcast index more than once. So I would just suggest everybody, if you're using a podcasting two point app to boost us, make sure yes. you're new, using podcastapps.com. Yeah. Make sure you're using the, uh, the current one, which uh, it'll always get to you. So you're lucky the half because you're using your own node where the Satoshi's dot stream. It may just well, be getting, is confused. it luck or is it, is it laziness on your part that you're not running your own node? I Maybe, mean, seriously, but, but do you have analytics? No, I, I do. If I want to write a, a <laughs> PowerShell script and run my own Excel numbers, write that, write that. Then I can move over I have the uh, raw data. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. I, I have better analytics than you. Some assembly required. Well, the assembly is what takes all the time. <laughs> yeah. So we should have run it, run it in Python instead. Right. Well, go, go to Ruby on rails. <sighs> yeah. I want, if I want the number crunching to take three years. Yeah, I need to. Well, so I'll export all that data for grumpy old Ben's be interesting to see who we got on the line. And uh, Sir Spencer, I mean, what happened, man? Where, where did that half of my boost go? Where did it go into the ether? I'm always I'm always interesting when going to a thing like Satoshi's dot stream because they're doing the, uh, you know, the traffic routing at that point, because everything goes to that one address and then they split all that up depending on what show it's for. And, uh, hey, this is still all a work in progress, but it works way better than it really you know, should Satoshi's, at this point. Satoshi dot stream probably is throttling you because they think that because you have too many accounts and they think you're a bot account. It's possible. So it went to Satoshi's stream, according to Sir Spencer. Yeah, your trusted third-party trusted, service over yes. there. Yeah. Over, he, now you can only hear uh, that in the Chicago do, accent. Like, that's your trusted third-party service over there, my dear. Do, do we want to do more stories or close out the show or just or just keep chatting with the troll room? on? Either way. I mean, what, what you, works? Usually, just, just for the record, for people who listen to this on the podcast, we usually do random banter with people in the troll room, but it usually happens after we stop recording 
So the only way that you're going to get that most shows is to be listening live at the noagendastream.com on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Left Coast time. That is 1 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Nick the Rat. Which which we had not actually decided, and I don't know if we have that this is officially our time slot, but we seem to be doing it. This is what, the fourth or fifth in a row? Fourth, I think. We just keep showing up. And you yeah, keep we just keep up. showing up. And, and, you know, for me, it's a matter of turning on the mic because the grump is always there. And, you have and to I think Darren it. is always podcasting. Right. You have to capture it. You're like, oh, we doing a show. I'm like, um, I, I have content. I mean, that was kind of how it went this morning. I said, <laughs> uh, you know, are we are we doing a show? Well, I don't know. Well, I have stories written up and uh, Darren's mic is always hot. It never cools down. And I'm like, let me tell you about my bank. And yes. uh, which was a good show. See, that was good content. See, we had content today because your bank screwed you. Yes. Thank you to old national bank. Those assholes uh, screwing everybody else. But hey, it's good for content. If you like so what you're hearing, last, support sorry. the show. The last thing I had in in my notes file prepared was uh, this one came in last night from Servo on Mastodon. And I. Even if I don't always uh, respond, I really appreciate when people send me stories, even if the story is stupid. I mean, then I'll block you. But um, this was not a stupid story. This was actually um, a, a concerning one and it didn't make angry tech news, but it uh, it take it, it needs to be mentioned. Um, the it's a new vulnerability, CPU vulnerability called Retbleed. Um you remember, uh, I want to say this was 2018 when Spectre and Meltdown came out. Oh, yeah. When they realized that your hardware CPU was basically screwed and there's nothing you can do. That was kind of the gist of it. So that was and, and I'm, I know I'm going to get real geeky here and you can forgive me or don't. I don't care. Um, that was uh, it, it's called a branch prediction uh, vulnerability. And it has to do with the all modern CPU architectures, uh, you know, once er, early on in CPUs, they would make the processor faster by jacking up the megahertz. That, that was, uh, you know, when Moore's law was in its heyday and it was like, well, our, this processor is four megahertz. This processor is six. This is eight, ten. Every every new version to just jack up the clock speed somewhere along the line. They realized that physics was going to bitch slap them. And in somewhere in between three and four gigahertz, they realized, oh, our chips are going to actually catch fire. We've reached the melting point of silicon. We can't make the clock speed any faster. And they started creating all kinds of fancy tricks for trying to get more speed out of the CPU. Uh, one of those tricks that came in in the last 10 years was CPU branch prediction. Is that and like it the goes kind of like Davidians? this. Uh, something like that. Um, so CPU has cache on the CPU. It's, it's a really, really super fast memory that the CPU can generally access in one, one clock tick. Uh, comparatively speaking, having to go out to main memory, the chips, which are uh, several inches away, which is uh, a lifetime in, in clock speed ticks. Um, it takes, you know, it can take a dozen or more ticks to retrieve something from main memory. So what the modern CPUs do is they look at the next hundred or so instructions in, in the pipeline and try to predict which one of those memory 
things they can fetch. Cause one thing they can do is fetch a bunch of memory at once and they bring it into the cache. Uh, the problem is of course, when there's a branch and a branch is an if statement or a while or a loop or anything, a go to in the code where suddenly the next hundred instructions are no longer valid because we're not going to execute those. And we're going to do a bunch of other instructions somewhere else that they didn't think of. So the CPUs got new circuitry in there that would scan the next hundred or so instructions, try to figure out which memory to bring in and look for, uh, there's basically three instructions, uh, jump call and return that, will cause the CPU to start executing code somewhere else. They're jump instructions or, or branch instructions. And it will scan those. And if there's a, a jump coming up, it hasn't even evaluated whether or not it's going to take the jump because, you know, like if it's an if, there's a there's a condition before it right. that tells you whether to jump or not. But it will simultaneously run the main line of code and the jump line of code at the same time, scan them, bring in the memory in from the cache, and that that's called branch prediction. The idea is no matter which direction you go, whether you stay on the main line or you jump to the, the new line of code, you're going to have the memory in and it's going to run faster. So that was, I, I mean, that's a dirty trick and it's really cool for processor makers. It's not something programmers think about much, but here's the problem. And this is what, what Spectre was about. Um, and, and meltdown was similar to it, but I'm just going to call it all Spectre because I have been watching James Bond movies. Um, Spectre was a vulnerability where you would, uh, you would check. Well, okay. There's, there's a problem where if like the vulnerability is you write code that, that would be behind a branch. You're not going to take. And, uh, it would go out and bring in memory to the cache that you don't have access to. Um, now, you're never going to execute the code that reads that memory because the OS enforces it. But the CPU doesn't know anything about memory access. It just says, well, there's a branch here and the branch says to bring in memory and it'll bring in memory from code from another process. It'll bring in memory from another virtual machine. If you've got, if you're on a cloud server, the, the memory that's brought in, the CPU doesn't care. It'll just put it in the cache. And if you don't take that line, because the OS won't let you take the line or whatever, um, then it just flushes the cache. No harm, no foul, right? Makes well, sense. the problem is the vulnerability. The problem is that people discovered that if you time how long it takes to load a memory page and, and make it available for the code, even if you're not going to read it, then you can tell, depending on how much time it takes, whether it loaded from main memory or from cache. So if the thing you want is in cache, like if, if your, if your wrong branch that you never took caused the branch predictor to bring the memory into cache. Now you can try to load data from cache and it will, um, it will be really fat or you will try to load in data that you think is the data and it will come in. It, I'm not explaining this very well. It's very, <laughs> But anyway, basically, if if the data that you want but don't have access to has been loaded into the cache of the CPU, it takes less time to access data that looks like that is kind of what I'm getting at. And I've studied the code that does this, and I'm still not explaining it well. But okay, you know what? I'm I'm done trying to give the the it, 
to do the exploit, you Dumb need to it branch. down. Come on, man. Dumb it down. Okay. okay. Let me, let me go a little higher level to do the exploit. Your code needs to branch. And, uh, when Spectre and Meltdown were coming out, um, your options were jump or call. Jump is an if statement or a for statement or a while or whatever. Call is calling a function. Both of those were really vulnerable to this. But at the time of Spectre, they thought that the other one return was not something that you could exploit. And so the mitigation that was put in by OS vendors that they put into their compilers was uh, they changed jump and call statements in any vulnerable section of code. They changed them to return statements. And it's it, at the CPU level, return is just uh, pop an address off the stack. So you can, you can fiddle it around, but you can change the, what the statement is. So the result is all the mitigations, the OS patches, all the things that said, you know, we're not nearly as, you know, we're hardened against Spectre, all changed a bunch of jump and call statements to be return statements so that you couldn't use this branch prediction attack. So the story coming out today, now that I've lost everybody in the audience, (laughs) is a group of security researchers have figured out how to do a branch prediction attack using return statements. And this grabs that can of worms and cracks it wide open yet again. Which means uh-huh. we're all in for a one hell of a ride. It's it. Okay. If, if you are the only person using your CPU, here's, here's the vulnerability. It, the, the, all of these branch prediction attacks result in data leaking from sections of code that the CPU has access to, but that your process doesn't. Um, Normally in, in a single physical machine situation, that means kernel memory. If you're the one who owns the machine, if it's your personal machine, you probably don't care too much. There are going to be a class of attacks where somebody will, uh, if, if they can figure out how might try to steal Bitcoin keys or, or DRM keys or something uh, like crypto keys out of kernel memory where, uh, um, the process doesn't have access to it. Um, This is a real problem for going to be a real problem for people who write DRM, but the place where you're going to see it a problem right away is going to be in uh, shared cloud servers running on VMs because uh, you have a virtual machine. You now have two completely separate computers that happen to be sharing a CPU and now you can leak data between them. Yeah, that's no bueno. So. I should probably just give up. I made an attempt to explain that, and I don't think I did a very good job unless you're a, a coder. Um, the question it was fascinating. Is- I, I can link I can link the the proof of concept code that I found. It was fascinating to see exactly how it was done if you know how to read C code. Um, the way they did it was they would load in to cache the data that they wanted to get at the the byte that like they were doing it one byte at a time. And they'd use a branch prediction to get the one byte that they wanted loaded into cache. And then they would cycle 255 times once for each byte and say, give me a byte containing a one. Give me a byte containing a two. Give me a byte containing a three. And whichever one ran faster than any of the others, that was the, the byte that was in the data that they were trying to get at that, 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 the, that they didn't have access to. That, so, is a, that is actually genius. You, you run that a thousand times and you can pull a kilobyte of somebody else's memory. That is genius, really. But all the shared machine. Yeah. I mean, which is a lot of web and servers. Scary. Uh-huh. 
Uh huh. For all of this, uh, I don't quite get it. But while it didn't come through on Telegram, we did get Sir Spencer's boost. So that did arrive. I don't know why that didn't show up. But I also want to say uh, uh, a couple different things. The number one boost, uh, number one Satoshi streamer on this show is the same as Random Thoughts, which is uh, probably the same in all of them. Sir Sean of the Allegheny Valley, who not only sends in donations the old-fashioned way, is doing a hell of a lot of uh, streaming sats. Yes, he is uh, one of the biggest streamers to Angry Tech News as well. Then coming up with Servo, he's number two on the list after Sir Sean. And I will maybe argue that we left the producer segment, but go on. No, I'm just saying this is interesting uh, data that I pulled up from the Satoshis.stream. This is all tech that we can uh, okay. that we can get here. And I do have to mention, I, I think this is by law of Grumpy Old Ben's, that Guru Jay Finley is in the troll room. The only Guru to Grumpy oh, wow. Old Ben's. Oh. So this is who an wasn't honor. wasn't that Adam kicked dropping the hard N-word on the last show? That was Blue Douche, whose reading comprehension has been compromised. Yes. It's the modem squawk that gets him every single yes. time, every single time. But we hope uh, you're enjoying the show, Jay Finley and everybody. It, the only one I think that was close to getting towards that, uh, that number was that guy from the rare encounter show. Oh yeah. Abel Kirby. Right. No, no. Oh, oh, the, the other one. Yeah. The other one, uh, Bill Gates. Right. And we're, we're waiting for him to, uh, to re-engage. But in the meantime, he's one of those crazy people who has a day job. And we are kind of doing this right in the middle of the day. I know it's exactly the way we like it, but we hope he's listening and enjoying the show. I mean, it was it was a cold acid and Sir Spencer and Boobery that when the uh, when the hiatus came that uh, they were the more upset than anybody else. So we hope they're enjoying the show. And a few more. I was pretty fucking upset. I'll just let you know. No, it's possible that I was more upset than anybody else, but I can't be sure about that. We have to have a contest. (laughs) Who can can get more, more upset than anyone else? Grumpy grumpy old Ben's. That's that's a contest. Can you, you know, like, can you, uh, what was that show with uh, the, what's his name? The comic, uh, the, you smarter. Are you smarter than a fifth? Can you be smarter than a fifth grader or something? Uh, Um. Not, not you know the one uh what, what's nope. his what's, yeah like you nope, might be leave you hanging here you might be a redneck if that guy uh what jeff foxworthy okay yeah he did the are <laughs> I, you are i was you, waiting are you smarter than a fifth grader well we could do i mean i grumpier? knew the answer i just wanted to leave you hanging are you grumpier than a bemrose here <laughs> on grumpy old Benz. i mean that would be that would be a very good segment that we could do um, I think we'd still do have four eight zero four grumpy as a uh, call in line. I mean, if you ever want to get grumpy and add some content to the show, feel free to do that. And then I'll have to remember to check that voicemail before yeah, shows. we're not going to remember. <laughs> they'll, they, then they'll, they'll get even more grumpy. They'll be like, fuck you. I called in. I left a message. Why didn't you play it? I'll be like, oh, yeah, we have that phone number thing. Huh? Oh, wow. Right. Remind yeah, us. Yeah, boost us. OK, let's. Let's admit it. You're you're more likely to get us if you call into one of the other shows. Yes, we'll we'll hear the message. It's because we do li- we listen to other podcasts. Like if you call into the Hog Story Five Minute Limit, then uh, chances are you'll get our attention faster than if you call into the Grumpy Old Ben's line. It's like a round robin thing. It all just works. Trust me. Yeah. But uh, yeah, next Wednesday we'll be here at 
11 a.m. Bemrose, 1 p.m. me. And uh, we always just like to be on Nick the Rat time, 2 o'clock. With that said, I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America. What? Who? I said a.m. or p.m. I'm sorry. Well, do you, do you want to start doing this in the a.m.? I, I don't. Well, you are in the a.m. But do you uh, want do you want do you want your co-host to be drunk? Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> that would be another good. This is podcaster like boot camp. But I will uh, just say that I'm in a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where at least I can get a hold of my money for now. And from America's left coast, where. I should have thought of something to say, but I'm too grumpy. I'm Ryan Bebros.